Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. And today we are so happy to be joined by the podcast, Where's Beverly? Where's Bev? Um, I'm joined by Sophia and Adrienne. Hello. (laughs) Hi. We are so, so happy that you uh, agreed to be guests on our show. This is a very exciting time. Literally, when I saw your podcast name and just literally thinking about how we're about to do a feminism series, I was like, Ashlyn, we have to get Where's Bev? Like, this is essential to talk about Beverly Crusher. So thank you both for joining us. Aw, thank you so much for having us. (laughs) We like your podcast. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> I know. I definitely feel some kinship because you guys are best friends, right? Or old friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it seems like it's really like Rihanna and I, you know, similar brainwaves. And then you guys, when I hear the podcast, you just sound like you're just perfectly going off each other and it's a great time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so to get started off, we'll have our listeners get to know you a little bit. So I'm wondering, we'll start with Sophia. How did you get into Star Trek? <sighs> I wish I had, like, an interesting story about how I got into Star Trek. <laughs> like, it was 1934, but um, <laughs> I don't have an interesting story. It's, it's just that I needed something to watch, and I was in a college theater group, and everybody was like, watch Star Trek Next Generation, and I did, and I loved it. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> That's a very interesting story. I don't know what you're talking about. That's awesome. <laughs> exactly. Adrienne, how about you? Okay, so I started watching Star Trek when I was in first grade with my mom. And she was a big, like, OG series fan. Um, And so we used to watch it together on Friday nights. But then a few years later, I was flipping through the channels, as an 11-year-old does, and I came across Time's Arrow Part 1. And my 11-year-old brain went, period clothing, science fiction, Cholera outbreaks? Yes, please. <laughs> and I just never looked back. That's Incredible. amazing. I feel like that's a perfect episode. Like any of the holodeck or like time travel ones, like that's you're in right there. Oh yeah. yeah, especially as a kid, like I really ate those ones up because I just thought they were the funniest ones, like Cupid and like all of the different ones. So good. So then Adrienne, who's your favorite character now? And it doesn't have to be TNG. It can be from any of Star Trek. Oh, <laughs> This is really hard. Okay, so I love Beverly Crusher. Yeah. However, I'm going to have to go with a tie okay. between Deanna Troy and Laris from Star Trek Picard. Okay. I love this. So, <laughs> yes. It's really hard. There's so many good. I mean, I love, I don't know that there's a character I've met on Star Trek that I don't really enjoy. And so that's a really hard question. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a rude question, but we ask it to all of our guests. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. It's a good question. Yeah, thank you. Sophia, what about you? See, I also love Beverly, but she's she wasn't given enough for, for her to be my favorite character. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. The first character I fell in love with was 
Deanna Troy, but Seven of Nine, hands down, is the best Star Trek character. Yes. yes. Oh. Fantastic answers all around. You must have been screaming <laughs> watching Picard to see her. <laughs> Adrian you had to put up no with a idea. lot of, like, yeah, 2 a.m. Text texts. Messages. <laughs> The text message is just yelling, Adrian, she's in a sweater and she's so hot. Like, you guys have yes. no idea. It was, it was abusive, basically. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. That'll be me. Like, if we get Worf on any show, I'm going to oh be, like, God. on the ground, like, murdered. <laughs> be, like, passed He's out. back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's love. the dream, honestly. Okay. So tell me about your podcast. What, what do you do episode to episode? What's your, what's your thesis? <laughs> <laughs> this is also a hard question to answer you guys. Yes. Thank you for, for posing that. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. So, so right now what we're doing is we are doing an episodic breakdown of Star Trek Picard where we just go episode by episode, uh, but then we do some sort of in-between bonus episodes that have to do with whatever we feel like talking about. Awesome. Um, but essentially, when we were getting into this idea during the height of the Spanish flu pandemic of mm-hmm. 1919 is when it all started. <laughs> yes. um, but when we were first talking about it, we were joking about names and, and you know what would we call it, and we realized that our biggest... Thing that we were talking about with Star Trek Picard, aside from Laris and Zaban and Seven of Nine, was where the hell is Beverly Crusher? And so we joked, let's just have it, let's just have a Star Trek Picard podcast and call it Where's Beverly? And yeah, so we talk about episodes and knitwear and costumes and Sophia, where we think Beverly Crusher is. <laughs> <laughs> So we come up with really like kooky, like ridiculous theories as to where she is. Like maybe she's in the Bermuda Triangle or maybe she's in the pyramids having tea with aliens. (laughs) You just never know. I really Mm -hmm. love this concept. I think that you two have created something that's really special and not done before. And that's just so fun. I love hearing your podcast and just, I think because all of us or a lot of us, especially who care about Crusher are just wondering where the hell she is and hoping that we get to see her anytime soon. I mean, I'm so glad that like Picard is coming back. It seems like we're not going back to her time period. So it's just like, oh Lord. (laughs) It's just rude. Especially after having her on Prodigy too. If the kids show yes. can get her on, come on, Picard. Literally. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. About half of Rihanna and I's discussions end up being like, where's Cisco? Like, where's, <laughs> where's Jordy? Like, where are all these people that are so essential? And then in Picard, he's just like, I'm having my own crew. And like, it's fine, but it's not <laughs> yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. You can bring that yeah, data exactly. 85,000 times, but where's Jordy? Yeah. Also, don't yeah. even get me started. Seriously. Beverly and Jordy, mm-hmm. two mistreat, most mistreated characters in TNG. Where's Jordy? Yep. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We, we know where Data is. So where's his yeah. friend? We're, where's we're his aware. bestie? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I think uh. that it's so interesting because uh, in Una McCormack's book, The Last Best Hope, Jordy and Beverly both made appearances in it. And it was just like phenomenal that actually like Uta McCormack cared (laughs) about these characters and like wanted to give us more info and so I was expecting more of that in Picard but here we are rude (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, to so we don't lament too long. Rihanna and I are in our second episode of our feminism series. Last week was a little bit dire with um, our the original series situation, but yeah. the women in TNG are amazing, and we wanted to have you guys on to talk about Beverly Crusher. So before we get into the episodes that we watched to prepare for this, I am wondering, Rihanna, Mm -hmm. out of all of the men in The Next Generation, which one drinks the most respect women juice? (laughs) You know, this was much harder than last time because there's actually like a couple of men who are very respectful of the female crew members. And I had kind of a hard time deciding, but I think I'm going to go with my beloved Data. I Mm. think that he, out of all of these characters, is unflinchingly respectful of everybody, and that it just automatically includes the women crew members. And even when he has that love interest episode, he's still like, yeah, falling into some of like archaic stereotypes about men and women dating. But for the most part, he is still very respectful, partially because he doesn't understand any different. He doesn't know about sort of the like sexism that's ingrained in humanity, even in this time period. And so I think it's just phenomenal to see him like when he gets to dance with Crusher and he just like you literally uses their expertise. I mean, he's even when he comes to Troy to talk about like the boy that he's taken on is sort of a surrogate son and hero worship. You know, there's all of these great moments where he is truly like, he goes to the women because he knows he's not an expert in whatever field that they are in. And so I just love that. And he's always respecting the like random woman of the week or whatever on each episode. So I'm definitely going to go with data. Yeah. Um, how about you, Sophia? Let's start with you. How do you, who do you think drinks the most respect woman juice (laughs) of these men? Worf, hands down, no explanation Woo! needed. Yes. <laughs> Phenomenal. Drop the mic, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's done. Yeah. Okay, Adrian, how about you? Oh, this is another really hard question. Um, this is going to be the theme with me today. It's just that it's going to be hard for me to clear, to really like make a statement about anything. Um, so I really feel like all the men on TNG are really great and are probably largely responsible for my super high standards with men. I mean, all of them, even when they're not doing great, are still better than, I think I told Sophia this the other day, I feel like even season one Riker is better than 90% of what we get on television. And, you know, and so even, I almost said Riker in Angel One is who drinks the most respect, women juice. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, okay. If I'm pressed and you're pressing me, but it's okay, I'm gonna go with Picard, um, particularly in his relationship with with Crusher and how he values her opinion really even more, I think, than some of the male crew members. And I'm not trying to like jump ship, uh, but the thing that I always go to in the episode "Remember Me" is when this despite the fact that she has no evidence for what she thinks is happening he believes her unequivocally because she's told him that something is going on so he believes her and there's no yeah there's just no qualms about that and so i always really really liked that so i'm gonna say picard oh johnny oh johnny luke (laughs) gotta love jl that's a great answer a man after my heart and you're also after my heart it's picard for me as well (laughs) (laughs) Picard is one of my favorite characters. I, I It goes back and forth between like Janeway and Picard for me, but 
I think especially rewatching these episodes with Crusher, like the ones that we watched uh, for the podcast, he is always supporting her no matter what. Even if she's like with another person, like in a relationship, mm-hmm. he's still 100% behind her. He's not going to go like telling tales about her. And just in general, like any woman he encounters, he just treats them as equals. And I love Picard. That's, I mean, I like have a crush on him. I love him so much. <laughs> yeah. He's, we should talk more later. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's just get into it. Let's go right into Remember Me. Rihanna, will you give a little plot synopsis about this episode? Yeah, the synopsis is that things are going crazy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Literally, Beverly Crusher kind of... This episode actually reminded me a lot of the episode in Enterprise when Hoshi gets stuck in the transporter buffer. Um, I can't remember its name, but it's a lot of similar sort of themes of, like, women not getting listened to or, like, you know, something crazy is happening around them and they're the only one who's affected by it. And so essentially, Beverly gets stuck in this static warp bubble because, you know, this is just a regular day on the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. And she is seeing her crew members all around her start to disappear. And the crew members that remain completely forgot they ever existed. And so Beverly is slowly having to deal with more and more crew members just vanishing and it turns out that she created this entire reality as the traveler says this whole universe she created around this concept and it's pretty much just a like beverly getting to do awesome stuff on her own and like be a badass the whole time like this is one of probably my favorite beverly crusher episode i think that it's written really well it just gives her actual limelight and not, you know, like a side plot or something. Like she is the star of this episode. Absolutely. I remember the first time I watched this, and this is one that I go back to quite a lot because I feel like it's one of the best Crusher episodes. But the first time I saw it, and even now watching it today, I get so frustrated every time someone says that he doesn't believe her. And I'm saying he because it's mostly the men. It's so frustrating. And I think it a lot of people can relate to this where you feel like I know the answer. And even if I'm the only one in the whole world, I know it's correct. So it, this episode, I think, just really inspires me every time I feel stuck in a situation. I'm like, just be like Crusher, stick it out. It's going to be fine. Yes, absolutely. How do you guys feel about this episode? What are your favorite parts? Um, what are some things that stick out for you, especially about uh, Beverly? Uh, I affectionately refer to this as gaslighting the episode. Yes. And yeah. I feel like this is this is probably my favorite TNG episode, I think. Um, and it's just like, it's it's just very much like a very sci-fi method of a very human problem. And I feel like Star Trek does that very well. And like you said beautifully, where it's like, she's not being listened to. She knows that something's up. She knows that she's right. And just to have all of these mainly dudes being like, are you sure? Maybe you just need a nap and some chocolate mm. and, you know... This will all be better in the morning. Like, it's just just to see her reasoning and for her to immediately be like, not only is everybody else just, like, out of whack and, like, I'm the only one that know what's going on. I'm going to figure this out. It's just me and a computer and just figuring this entire thing out and basically saving herself. Like, it's 
her competency to be to be able to just figure out what the problem is and like fix it herself under like dire time constraints and like severe anxiety is phenomenal yeah yes absolutely Mm -hmm. Sophia that was really good you stole my answer um (laughs) no this is a really really good one and I think the well I already talked about how I like how Picard responds to her you know as the situation's ongoing and I love that little really funny scene towards the end where she's like so you're just telling me it's just the two of us out here without a crew and he says well we've never needed a crew before and it's just like what the hell's going on I love that um I also really really like the idea that so I know, like, later, much later in the show, Wesley sort of gets taken on by this Traveler character for being sort of, like, evolving into higher consciousness. Mm-hmm. But what I realized, and I never noticed going back and rewatching Remember Me this time, is that maybe he gets some of that from her because she's mm. able to create her own reality. And he mentions how most people wouldn't be able to do that. So the fact that she's so, I think, strong-minded that she can just create her own, that her feelings and her thoughts create this entire alternate reality is really, really interesting to me. But I think if I had to pin it down, what I love about this, and Sophia, you already said some of this, is that in this episode, she has moments like we all would of doubting herself but she never gives into that and no matter how crazy things seem to get she just keeps falling back on what she knows to be true and she knows that something's wrong and I love and it's we Sophie and I joke about this line all the time that if there's nothing wrong with me there must be something wrong with the universe yes yes and we laugh about like it's a good line it's also maybe a really cheesy line but at the same time I think it speaks to so many women in particular that you know we feel this way sometimes like you said and for her to just kind of stand in her own knowledge and her own truth and her own intuition which is a very sort of feminine aspect to to embody I really 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 love just I just really like that yeah wow Adrian I'm really glad you said that because like I think something that's really important about this episode is how she uses sort of the scientific method and like her what she would use in a medical sort of procedure to sort of parse out what's going on especially once Picard disappears and it's her and the computer like she outlogics the computer that's a Spock move like this is badass I love that she's able to um just go through that method and it reminds me so much of Judzia Dax like the two of them have such a kindred spirit to me because like the science-minded women aboard any of these vessels they just have sort of this like confidence of I know I can just follow a scientific process and it'll lead me to the truth and like staying steadfast about her own beliefs. It's just so fun to watch because I think like, you know, Troy's sort of the emotional quote unquote, like aspect of womanhood and, and crushers, like the logical kind, they balance each other out well in that way. And I do like the fact though, that like when crusher is questioning herself, she's talking to Troy and saying like, what if this was all in my head? And I like, you know, making them go back to Starbase 33 and do all this stuff. And Crusher says, so what if we're delayed? Or sorry, Troy says, so what if we're delayed? You know, she's like that. It, so we're a little bit late to our next mission. Like, it's not a big deal. It's more important that like we hear you out and that 
we get this figured out. And so I think it's just so cool that these women support each other as well, because I think Troy could easily have dismissed her and said, you need some counseling or like whatever, you know, but she's here listening to her and she knows like, you've got a crazy, brilliant science brain. And so clearly something's probably going on. I love that line and Adrian, what everyone's saying, I'm just like nodding my head the entire time. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm so into this. Um, I, I, I think that's a great thing that Troy does in giving her that space to say, hey, figure out what you need to figure out because it seems like it's really important if we have crew members missing. And I feel like that really struck a chord with me because in my own anxieties and insecurities, I don't often play out the scenario and think, oh, what will actually happen if the if I am wrong and if I am wasting everybody's time? It's it's not a bad, you know, it's not dire. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so great point, Rihanna. And I also love, like, I've never thought either that, um, cr- that Wesley probably got like a lot of his, it's, like, gumption to go with the traveler from Beverly. Absolutely. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, I think too, because like this episode also just reminded me how freaking brave Beverly is, you know, like I would be a a mess. (laughs) Like I'd just be falling apart in this situation. Like I would just give up and like lay on the ground and be like, well, everyone's gone. But no, she says even to Picard, like, I will not stop fighting. I will never forget you. And like, I will figure this out. And even when she, you know, figures out she has to go to engineering where it all began and there's this huge, massive, terrifying light. She's like, I'm just going to jump into it. You know, I just think that that is like so epically brave that no wonder Wesley got all of his like adventurous spirit from her and just that ability to like, you know, grab life by the horns and just go. (laughs) That's amazing. She almost told Picard, that she loved him and then it got cut off and I hated it I'm sorry (laughs) that was so frustrating oh my god (laughs) yeah they do too many of these cheeses throughout the show and I'm like so sick of it (laughs) yeah um something that Rihanna and I talk a lot about throughout every different Star Trek series is that whenever something goes wrong and it's one crew member who knows at first I feel like it takes like the original series, almost the entire episode for the rest of the crew to get on board and for Kirk to finally be like, oh my gosh, like this is the problem. And we joke TNG, it's like maybe halfway through the episode they figure it out by Voyager, like five minutes in, Tuvok's like, yes, I have confirmed the theory. Um, But this is like one of those rare episodes where I feel like, well, not rare, but one of those like just awesome episodes where it's like, believe Beverly right away. And I think also... The two people that really help besides Wesley is Data and Jordy because they are running calculations like crazy. And I love when we see halfway through the episode, Wesley's perspective, and we see everybody else on the Enterprise is looking desperately for Beverly and wondering like, oh my God, where did she go? And so it's not like she was forgotten, you know, um, yeah. obviously. So it's it's nice to see like how hard they're working and they're not giving up either because they need their CMO, you know? Yeah. And they'll do anything to protect her. I think this is something that I love so much about the crew in general is that they will sacrifice everything for any member of their crew. And I was sort of shocked, though. I don't know how you all felt about this, but the moment that she gets, like, sucked into the warp bubble, she just disappears from engineering. And literally, like, Jordy does not even notice. (laughs) And Wesley just looks around and he's like, hmm. Well, I guess mom walked away. Like, what? <laughs> your mom disappeared right in front of you and that's your reaction? <laughs> Men. Yeah. <Yep. laughs> 
especially very like um, diligent nerdy types. Yeah. They're just they're just they're just doing their computations. Exactly. Jordy's like, well, I have to take a look at this calculation here. Like, oh, a human being just vanished. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say something too. Oh yeah, like, I think too. This is a really good Wesley and Beverly episode, even though we don't get a lot of them interacting. I think often Beverly is sort of put into a role of just being a mother or a doctor and like that's it you know and those are her like two like biggest career things which is of course important and like yes motherhood is insanely hard and she's doing an amazing job particularly after losing Jack and everything um but I think she often just gets sort of like shoehorned into being a mother role and that's it and so it was cool to see kind of like both in this episode I don't know how did you all feel about this in Wesley I agree that I don't know I I think it's she feels mostly like freaked out at the beginning um when she realizes that people are gone and then Wesley's with her for a little while and she's able to kind of bounce ideas off him and then once he disappears you really feel that but what I admire about her, and I think what you're speaking to, Rihanna, is that she is counting every time the ship loses people. She's like, it's been 117 people. And then the next time she's like, oh my God, it's been 230 people or whatever that are missing. And so it's it's cool. Obviously, she's freaked out. And I think that's when it becomes real is when Wesley goes to. Um, but also she's equally weighing the rest of the crew members too. So I, she can, I mean, she's just amazing. She can balance it all out and just equally freak out. (laughs) Yeah. I really like that she gets to be both of those things in a way in which neither are ever really, really sacrificed. Um, her abilities as a doctor never take a hit for her mothering and vice versa. But at the same time, it doesn't fall into this trope of like, we can have it all, all the time. And so Mm -hmm. I like that she just, when she's a mother, she's a mother. And when she's a doctor, she's a doctor. And when she's in a relationship with someone, she's in a relationship with someone. She's all these different people and they're all fully integrated. And so I, I, that's one thing I've always really admired about Beverly is that she doesn't lose parts of herself when she's engaging in other parts of herself. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. I don't know. Absolutely. You also see the times where she misses the fact that she doesn't have a partner to help her be a parent and how Wesley is, you know, also having a hard time adjusting sometimes. And I think I just really love, because obviously Wesley goes through a lot of different changes in this show. And um, he, I think, can be a little bit like resistant to Beverly's affection sometimes especially when he's getting older like that happens to all of us when we're in our teenage years like don't even look at me like don't don't hug me you know all that stuff but I think she's still like when they have that moment at the end of remember me where she comes back and you saw like Wesley and, and the traveler working so hard to get her back like just the way they like run to each other and hug and like it's just so cool to see like that, that she remembers the really important things, especially because in the beginning, the admiral guy or whatever the doctor she knew was saying how, like, when you get older, 
you start like the worst part about getting older is you start losing friends and losing your loved ones and how like it just makes you want to hold on to them tighter and so the fact that then she gets to have that wesley hug at the end is such a cool for full circle moment it's amazing totally i think also you know just to emphasize that this is all happening in her mind like this is a reality that she created and so isn't it interesting that in her own mind no one's believing her with mm. the people that are vanishing you know Dang. <laughs> I, I think that tracks though with her being even I'm assuming in the 24th century being a doctor is still probably a male dominated field so I feel like that really tracks of somebody who's a strong woman who's had to prove herself of course in her kind of you know dreamlike state she'd be like yep and no man's gonna listen to me yep absolutely yeah shakes me mm. a little <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right. Well, and you had any last thoughts about Remember Me before we move on? All right. Let's do it. Okay. So you were, (laughs) we were talking about, you know, their Bev and Wesley's relationship in the host, literally in like the first five minutes, like of her log, she's like, I finally got a letter from Wesley. Because he's at the academy at this point, and he's doing his own thing. And then she's absolutely doing her own thing, doing a lot of things in, <laughs> in this episode. Rihanna, you want to give us another plot summary for this? Yeah, I'd love to. So Tr- Crusher in this episode falls in love with a trill. And this is unlike any trill we're ever going to see again. This is a uh, maybe a different side of the planet trill. I, I don't know, but trill lore is very different not, in this episode. Not a spot in sight, no. <laughs> Um, but she falls in love with Odon. He is a ambassador and he is in the middle of these very intense peace negotiations when his shuttle crashes and like any classic trill plot, this this uh, symbiont has to be put into Riker, I guess, because he just, you know, volunteered himself as a host body. And then there's like a weird, very uncomfortable middle part of the episode where Riker and Crusher are like <laughs> trying to figure out if they still love each other. Obviously Riker as the Odon host does, but Crusher's feeling awkward about it. And then a female comes and takes the symbiont and so now it's a female host and that creates a whole another slew of problems for Beverly. So pretty much we're seeing Beverly get a chance at love and then it's, we see it sort of fall apart and get taken away. And this is just interesting to me because we don't get a lot of like Beverly Crusher actually getting to fall in love with people who aren't Picard or she's still, you know, a lot of it, what we see is her mourning Jack and that's totally fair. Like Troy, I remember made in this episode a little bit of a snarky comment about like how long it's been. And I'm like, can you chill? Like she can love people at her own pace and it doesn't have to be like on this certain clock, like, oh, you should be over your husband in this amount of time or whatever. So I'm happy that she is genuinely feeling this connection with Odon, but very unhappy about how this whole thing turned out. I don't know. How do you all feel about this episode? I mean, Rihanna, she hasn't <laughs> met the ghost lamp yet, so. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Yikes. I feel like I should let you guys know that I actually really like the episode of Subarosa, and that being said, I hate the host. I hate this episode. <laughs> Yeah. And I like Sub Rosa. Yeah. So what is that saying? I don't know. Yeah. 
There's something yeah. magical about Subrosa. I agree. I watched it like a couple months ago and I was like, this episode actually slaps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, it's so bad that it's good. Yes. Yeah. And the mm-hmm. host is just bad. Just cringy. Yeah. It's, it's so cringy. Um, particularly the stuff with Riker. <laughs> I just don't get it. Well, okay, so I thought it was really weird that he volunteered in the first place, but then I was thinking about yeah. it, and I noticed that when Odon goes on the shuttle, he gives Beverly this nice rose, and he kisses her hand, he does his thing, and Riker is really watching them close, and he knows. He's like, oh, they're definitely doing it. I mean, Troy indicates that the whole ship kind of sees that Beverly's glowing, and she's you know really in love after 10 days. Good for her, though. You know, I'm not judging. Yeah. You do, you girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so then when Odon needs a body, Riker's the one to volunteer. And I'm kind of thinking he just wants to bang Beverly, you know? Like, Ooh. I don't know. He he is so pan. He wants to just explore the universe, like, and do anything yeah. he can. I mean, I'm, like, kind of joking. But also, I think, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> That's a scary take, Ashley. I have thought of that. <laughs> terrifying but i wouldn't put it past Riker. i mean i think that he does want an opportunity to get with as many women or people as he can and also maybe he just wanted to experience what it would like to be have like what it would be like to have a symbiont he never even like gave his consent to any of this happening too so i keep thinking about that also like he never said go ahead and use my body like for sex you know no Yeah, the whole thing is just really weird, and it brings up a lot of questions about, like, I have not seen Deep Space Nine, so I don't know, I only know how the trailer portrayed from Sophia, um, because I have told her repeatedly that I hate the whole idea of the trill, It, it really wigs me out, it feels like a psychological nightmare to have this idea that you are just... It, it feels like demonic possession. I'm just going to say it. It feels like the idea of a demon coming into your body and possessing you, and you're some small, stuffed-down part of yourself, and that's it. It's just creepy. I don't like it. So yeah. the funny thing about, like, choosing this episode for us is because, like, there's a lot of really interesting Beverly episodes, but I think this one sort of stands out to me mostly because of the ending. Like, I remember as a kid, I wasn't, I didn't realize at the time that I was gay, and I just really liked stories that happened to involve women loving women, you know, just casually. I was like, wow, that's really cool. I did really appreciate the sort of first attempt that Star Trek has, because I know everyone talks about um, Rejoined in Deep Space Nine as being sort of obviously like the first women loving women kiss, like the first lesbian kiss on Star Trek. This is what really intrigued me about this episode is the fact that the host is a female and we get to know a lot about this sort of process later on with Dax but at the time this was like the first we'd ever heard of Trill and about the species and everything and so the fact that Beverly does recognize her limitations here and how she says that someday our ability to love like hopefully someday our ability to love won't be so limited and I really like that she understands that this is something that she's not quite ready for and obviously she's pretty straight <laughs> and so she's like not going to be interested in women in that way but he she knows that she still loves Odon and loves this 
like just what he was or what she was or and so I just think that this part of the episode even though it's the last like five minutes and it doesn't get the respect it deserves really makes me respect Beverly more and respect sort of like even though of course she can't you know completely let herself love Odon still I think that it's just an important thing to think about when talking about like how we love one another and how we appear to each other and how like it can just completely change and you know at first I was kind of like eh, like what she was saying that like humans aren't accustomed to change and that like this is not normal quote-unquote for like humans to adjust to I'm like well that's definitely like an 80s viewpoint like obviously there are uh, gender fluid people who are very accustomed to that and people who love like any genders like pansexual people and like there's so many different people in these in this world that doesn't see gender as a binary and like shouldn't you know because it's it's very toxic and it mm-hmm. can be very harmful to people but I think that like she's sort of saying that the world humanity isn't ready for that yet and I don't know it's just important to remember that like Beverly is a person with flaws and she is growing through them and the fact that she's able to sort of recognize her limitations in the end is pretty awesome but she had no problem boning Riker. Yeah. Yeah, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I'm that's saying. kind of where I had a problem with that ending scene. And I feel like if, if rejoined wasn't a thing, I probably would have more of a problem mm-hmm. with it. And I, like, I'm just going to blame everything on Berman. Like, yes. it could yes. have been significantly more gay, and we got less gay because of Berman. Um, Adrian is going to roll her eyes because she gets 2 a.m. commentary about this all the time. (laughs) But I'm not arguing about Rick Berman. What are we doing? (laughs) But I just think, like, this ending scene, um, I love what you're saying about how, like, she's recognizing her limits, things like that, but I feel like, make it gay, you cowards. Yes. Like, Gates McFadden has been on Twitter saying that she absolutely was on board with being in a relationship with a woman and like mm. make it gay you cowards yes that's exactly how i viewed it too rihanna you just had this like beautiful lens that you were able to see beverly through but i was not at all i was on the same page sophia i was like that's just and like that's the line you know like tng they just drew the line for the gayness and that there it is and she says okay like let's not even be friends peace out have a good life you know yeah that was infinitely frustrating to me i think that like it's hard when, like, I don't know, so much of shows are queer baited that, like, if I can get anything these days, I'm happy about it. And that is really sad, you know? Like, I'd obviously, and with Discovery, we have a lot of really good queer content, and that's amazing. And even in Picard, like, it's very exciting the direction that Trek is going. And, like, we talked about this in last week's episode about TOS, how, like, feminism has a long way to go, and, like, queerness and everything during this time period but it still isn't an excuse and it's definitely a reflection of the obviously male written episode that this feels like you know it just is such from this male lens that it seems so unlikely to me that crusher would just be like you know what Riker no like let's do it I would never leave you like I love you when like she was clearly so uncomfortable for most of the episode and like saying no to him and he wasn't respecting her boundaries like oh lord this is just it's such a can of worms and I don't know, I think, like, I'm sort of in the camp of, like, I take what I can get, but it's also really sad what we got, you know? <laughs> I I have to say, though, and I tend to, I'm leaning a little bit more towards, like, your perspective, Rihanna, because it's a little bit more, like, 
I love Beverly and I'm very like I think I'm a lot like you I'm like oh and they're growing and we're learning and it's just like it's sort of that I will say though and I think I'm probably quite a bit older than everyone else here um so Sophia I know you said make it gay you cowards but I want to say that when this when these episodes were airing in the early 90s it was so gay that I wasn't allowed to watch it Wow. Wow. So, so I want to point, so I just want to like, as, as a time-based perspective, um, I think if they had made it any gayer, they would have been taken off the network. I really do. I think they would have, it wouldn't have gone at all. And I think that speaks a lot to like how things have changed and how they have, have progressed. Um, but because I'm a teacher, I tend, I'm, I'm so sorry. I know I drive Sophia crazy. I'm always like devil's advocate here. (laughs) And, um, but I do think that's something worth remembering. It's kind of like how, um, I remember talking with someone about the original series and they were talking about how, how the diversity was like shit in the original series. And it was really, really, it just, it wasn't as progressive as people like to make it out to be. And I'm like, well, no, not by 2022 standards, but it was so subversive that I honest to God, don't know how it ever got on the air. Mm -hmm. Like you had a black woman and a white man kissing each other. Like you had like a Russian person and a Japanese American, like this was insane. I mean, this was like absolutely insanity. And so I do, I think that's one thing I've always really liked about Star Trek is even though by our current standards, older iterations don't measure up, they are always subversive in their own time. And I really, really like that. So I did just want to say that for just as someone who was watching the show when it was on the air, it was like a bad episode. And I say that in quotation. I mean, but it, yeah. That's amazing That's how it was viewed, so. I wouldn't have, yeah, I would not have thought of that. I was, I was not born when this episode aired, so. Yeah. 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 Okay. Babies. <laughs> it's yeah. fine. I'll just uh, book a Botox session tomorrow. It's <laughs> <So> good. <laughs> No, but it is so important to view these episodes through the lens in which they were first seen, too. I mean, yeah, original series to me has all of the passes because it was made in the 60s, which is insane. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. And I think, too, I always know that Star Trek is paving paving way for, like, the future, you know, and that that's the beautiful thing about new trek and why all the trek bros hate it is the fact that they are now leaning into the gayness and they're leaning into the diversity more so than ever and being unapologetic about it and with streaming platforms you can be more liberal about like who you cast and what their gender and sexual and you know like cultural identities are and everything i think that that is so cool and i think that we wouldn't have that as much if we didn't have these episodes paving the way even if they're seen as problematic now like it has to start somewhere. And the fact that we got to see a woman telling Crusher that she loves her and Crusher admitting that she does too, blew my mind, when my little seven-year-old mind when I watched this. <laughs> well, <and laughs> it just even, made me feel like even, I could do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even bringing up the question of what does it even mean, which is such a, such a good philosophical question for anyone. What does it mean to love someone? Like what, what part, I love that scene, I love that scene between Troy and Crusher where she says, what is it that I, is it, was it his hands that I loved? Like, was it, 
the way he made me feel when he held me or was it the way he made me laugh and I love that Troy says I love that whole thing I cried today the whole like the first man I loved was my father Mm -hmm. and the way he made me feel was what you know what I loved but I also did like that for Crusher I because I think that's realistic that we also do want to have some sort of attraction physically as well and so I like that both of those things were sort of weighed against each other and can we and and one thing that I loved about this episode and I think Star Trek always does so so well is they pose these questions and then they don't fully answer them they Mm -hmm. leave them there for us as the audience and the viewers to wrestle with on our own and it doesn't pander to us it does not tell us what we should think and I love that it just, and I do think, like you said, Rihanna, it really paved the way, even asking this question. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes I, I totally hear what you guys are saying, and I don't know, I don't know what that's like, because I do identify as straight. But I can say, even asking that question, and even sometimes I think in the beginning, when things are first kind of getting going, sometimes less can be more because it can it can actually be more and that's what I think I mean by subversive like it makes you think without even knowing that you're thinking about it mm-hmm. you know like and so maybe it made some people think about this well maybe there's not anything wrong wrong with that right maybe that's just as normal as anything else what even does it mean to love someone yeah. Wow. Beautifully said. Moi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sophia vehemently disagrees with me. She's going to send me a text that says, more gayness, more gayness. And you know what? That's fine. Could have been significantly more gay, but at least we'll have Picard season two, which just looks exclusively gay. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I think particularly because we, there is a lot being left out between like gay women. And that's something that like, frustrates me to no end in like all media is that if there are gay women they're fetishized or sexualized and if and otherwise there just aren't and like gay men are the focus and of course that's amazing like representation matters no matter where it comes from but I think the fact that like 709 is actually getting a chance not to fall for Chakotay or something stupid you know like she's actually getting a chance to like feel like she has you know like I don't know that they can actually make her bisexual or I'm just very excited because we don't get a lot of women loving women storylines and if we do they're like one-offs like with rejoined or just non-existent (laughs) so this is very exciting Mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought up that scene with uh Troy and Crusher because I was thinking the whole time how is Troy keeping it together because she's had this flame for Riker and yeah sure like they're not in love but sure, we we know yeah. like they end up together and how is she being so chill and just supporting Crusher through like yeah through the whole situation and also the entire crew is completely on board with Odon and Riker's body and like Riker Riker's body is in different clothes he's not in a Starfleet uniform while he's doing the negotiations and no one even hesitates or has confusion with it they're like hello Odon and Riker's like hello (laughs) it's like they just flip a switch and I'm I'm impressed by that because we are not there Mm -hmm. as a society (laughs) 
No, not at all. Especially mm-hmm. because it seems like in this Trill lore, that's a little different than how Deep Space Nine portrayed it. It seems like the symbiont takes on more of the personality than the host. Like, they sort of overtake the host instead of it being an actual, like, symbiosis. Like, it's supposed to be. So I think that that was really interesting that it's like, I'm always Odon. And I'm like, well, yeah, but you can be like, Will Odon. Or, like, you can have, like that's just a part of you, you know? And so it was interesting to see more that like the symbiote like in- encapsulated everything about their personality. Mm-hmm. But bold of Jonathan Frakes to do absolutely nothing to portray Odon as different than Will Riker. <laughs> <laughs> he was yeah. just like tired and sick the whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, what? Also, kudos to Bev for her, like, quickness and surgery of literally learning trill anatomy on the fly and being able to do a human, like, tri- like a human host transference thing. That was insanely impressive. And I think that, like, because we just expect her to be a good doctor, she is. But, like, I think we forget that, like, no, she worked for this. Like, she is constantly working on things on the fly or... And anatomy, she has no clue what it's about and learning everything very quickly. And so just a shout out to her, like, medically. She's just mm-hmm. so insanely impressive, especially on someone you love. Like, you have to be their doctor and you're in love with them. Like, that seems very difficult and maybe a conflict of interest. But, you know, she's definitely the most qualified surgeon. So I mm-hmm. was kind of wondering if Picard was going to step in and say, hey, maybe you're too close to this. <laughs> but no. Nah. It's all good. He was cool with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do yeah. think he Oof. was really supporting her through this. I he was he seemed really reserved and obviously like in that first scene where Odon's just like basically saying she has a great body. Like he she didn't he didn't say that, but he was really saying like she's an amazing woman, amazing doctor, and Picard is so uncomfortable because you know he has feelings for her. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I was, of course, just admiring him that he was, you know, keeping it together, staying calm. And then he did support her when the time came. You know, I feel like he could have done more, but also it was like a really crazy episode. <laughs> so, yeah, I understand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he says at one point, like, I don't presume to speak for her, you know, and I love that, that he's not gonna because he was like is she thinking about leaving starfleet like he wanted her to leave starfleet like all of this stuff that is dicey um but you know i love that picard does take that step back and is like whoa 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 i'm not getting i'm not going there this is beverly's deal not mine yeah wow well shall we (laughs) move on to suspicions yeah Okay, Mm. Rihanna, why break the tradition? You want to give us a plot (laughs) summary? (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to. So we get a two-for-one of amazing women in this episode. We get Guinan and Beverly getting to interact for, like, you know, they never get to. This is amazing. It's it's incredible to see the two of them on screen together. And we start out, Guinan's coming in with an apparent tennis elbow uh, injury. And then they do this, the, like, let me tell you a story style episode. <laughs> so we've got um, Beverly pretty much recounting this whole ethical drama she went through in trying to figure out why this Frankie scientist died, how she knows it wasn't a suicide, and she's following these passive suspicions to the conclusion of her figuring out that he was indeed murdered by the guy who's supposed to be dead. (laughs) And so um, we essentially get to see Beverly kind of doing her own detective work. Like, she's, she should be Sherlock Holmes in the holodeck. Like, she's killing it. (laughs) 
Yeah, I feel like this is a really cool episode because basically the main plot is the B plot of, you know, so many episodes. Normally it's like, oh, there's like a war going on and Picard has to be a diplomat. And then the B plot is Crusher's having a nice party with a scientist. But this is the whole episode, you know, is Crusher goes out on a limb to support this Ferengi scientist. And I honestly, like, I've never rewatched this episode after I've seen it for the first time. So I was going in like completely blank pretty much. And I was so impressed that they had like a Klingon scientist. So like we're breaking all of these traditional stereotypes about Klingons and about Ferengis. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, this guy who died, I don't, do you remember what species he was? I don't Yeah, he was a, I feel like we're going to see him in Lower Decks at some point, you know? <laughs> he's a t- His name was Tukarin? Joe Brill. Okay, yeah. yeah. Joe yeah. Brill, he's a Takarin, I guess, and this is also a species that she had never seen before. Yeah. Did not know his anatomy, once again. <laughs> Going in blind. Going in blind. And then we have the Vulcan, she's the head of the Vulcan Science Academy, right? Yeah, badass. Which is like big news. And then mm-hmm. also her human husband was like, wow, this wow. is so progressive. It's <laughs> 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 a reverse Sarek and Amanda, you know? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> the fact that a lot of these scientists are female, too, is just another way for... Like, I, I do love that the Klingon scientist is female, and of course, the, it seems a lot of scientists are female on Vulcan, but, like, it's still cool, like you said, about subverting expectations, but also the fact that there's, like, half women in this science group is amazing, because I'm always just so happy when I see women of STEM, like, getting to do their, giving to live their best lives and not be, like, judged or had assumptions made about them because of their gender. Like, it's just amazing to see how awesome all these women are on this little science uh, council. So one of my favorite lines is we get a little bit further into the plot and um, who, someone was, I think it was the Klingon. Yeah. So basically they do the whole test and the Ferengi's like, I know it's right. My shields are working fine. And this of course was the first, I I was just so sus about everything going on here. I was like, what are these tachyons that they're finding? You know, (laughs) classic plot here. (laughs) But uh, so she's like kind of going to every scientist and asking, why would you have, like, why would you murder this guy? Why would you murder the Ferengi? You, you know, um, what would it benefit you? And when she goes to the Klingon, she's really angry about being a suspect. And she pushes Beverly. Um, and she says, I demand your silence. And Beverly says, you're going to have to throw me a lot harder than that to get my silence. And I was yes. like, yeah. <laughs> epic. I just that think that's epic. like such a nice line. And again, it's, it's like Remember Me where she has an idea and she knows she's right she trusts her instincts and she's gonna follow this to the end and figure out what's going on that's such a scene that you would normally see between two men as well and i thought that was really cool i mean they get into a fight but it wasn't a cat fight not that there's anything wrong with a good cat fight but yes this was not that and exactly like you're gonna have to push me a lot harder than that such a normally you would see this between two men and i liked that mm-hmm. that's such a good point Yeah, and I do love, too, that this is sort of Beverly's first foray into being the leader of this, or, like, being a scientific diplomat. You know, this is the first time, and of course she's feeling really connected and strongly about this project because she's sort of heading it, and she's, and it's falling apart, and so she's feeling a lot of that extra guilt, and I think that Guinan, like, 
helps her sort of walk her through that and like she said later for kicking me in the butt essentially to like you know get her to keep investigating and not give up but one thing I will say that always frustrates me about Guinan's role is that she is there to like give you sage advice and that's it and I feel like this sort of plays into um just like a trope that like oh like black women are only useful for like their infinite wisdom and they will tell you everything about their you know like knowledge and then you won't get any actual characterization from them and I feel like this is what Guinan falls into a lot and it frustrates me because like I obviously want to see more interaction of like Beverly and Guinan like grabbing drinks together you know shooting the shit about the past or like I don't know doing something that it could still relate to the plot but not be so much like even Beverly says like you're supposed to be the wise one like she sort of like snaps at Guinan and I'm like uh, like, do not belittle Guinan to just this person who gives out great advice and then leaves. Like, that is so shitty to me, and it just doesn't feel like Guinan gets that respect she deserves, especially as such a powerful entity and a powerful character. Like, yes, she's um, a very good listener, and, like, that's one of her traits, and so everyone sort of just takes her as that. But anyway, I just had to voice my frustrations a little bit because I think Beverly could have definitely treated her better in this episode, too. I haven't thought about that before, Rihanna. That's a great point. I think, I mean, just because she's the bartender, that's like the traditional like narrative for every bartender is like you listen and you don't get, like no one asked the bartender, how was your day, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it's really cool that Guinan chooses to kind of insert herself in this situation, even though she doesn't play tennis. And that, I, I was really confused because I have this like vivid memory of Guinan playing something with Jordy and I just thought it was tennis, but it's like a, like a game where they like shoot lasers and She plays dots. that with Worf. Oh, yeah. with Worf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she plays a lot of games. Like she's fences with Picard. She has quite a lot of like athletic skills, but I guess she doesn't play tennis. <laughs> Yeah, I just, like, wasn't keeping track of Guinan's games. <laughs> but Fair I think, enough. like, she didn't have to come to Beverly, and so I think it's cool that she did anyway. Um, I think, yeah, I don't I don't know. But thank you for bringing that up, Rihanna. It's, it is uh, something that she falls into. And again, we'll see what happens in season two of Picard. Maybe someone will, like, ask her how her day was, you know? <laughs> yeah, please. That's all we want. <laughs> Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, so this this episode just really reminds me yet again how tenacious Beverly is and how, like, she, of course, is definitely, like, very involved in Starfleet and, but she's also, like, willing to step over boundaries and break the rules to do what she knows is right. And this is just so against Picard's, like, every bone in his body. And so you can see him just, like, Oh, God. <laughs> Essentially, when he hears about Beverly did, about the autopsy and stuff, he's like, I literally told you not to do that. And, like, I cannot really protect you with this. I just, I think that was a really interesting scene because we know that, like, Picard is going to respect her choices and, like, we've seen in these other episodes, like, really back her on this stuff. But when it comes to regulation and breaking Starfleet rules, that's, like, real big for Picard. And Beverly even knew, like, I knew he was disappointed in me. Yeah, I mean, I saw First Duty, and he was really mad at Wesley, Ooh. so. <laughs> Luckily, she didn't get that treatment in this episode. Mm-hmm. But I think it's so realistic to her as a doctor and as the chief medical officer that we don't see her kind of 
I feel like we don't see her breaking rules and regulations enough because knowing what Bev does, like one of my favorite Bev episodes is Arsenal of Freedom. And just immediately, like she's down that hole and immediately she's like, break this twig, do this, do that. Like she's very good in a crisis. So the fact that like that should translate into her daily life, that of course, if something happens, she's going to be like, rule book is out the window. Let's get stuff done. And I just think that that's, I feel like this episode is one of the most truest to her as her profession as a doctor that we've got in the series, I think. I love that. I totally, I totally agree. agree. I was yeah. thinking also about the Riker, the like only Riker scene, thank God we get in this one, um, <laughs> where he comes up to her and he's like, I think it's Riker, Brianna, it might not be, but uh, he's saying like, you're risking your career. Um, let's see, you're betting your life on a hypothesis, like your entire career. And she says, but I'm not wrong. And yeah. I just, like, no matter what people are trying to convince her to say, like, just calm down. Don't worry about it. It's just going to roll. It's going to be fine. And she's so fiery about, like, figuring out what's going on. Because it just, it doesn't sit right with her. And I love that. This whole storyline, too, like, you had mentioned um, that it just, like, that whole scene between the Klingon and her was very, like, like a scene between two men. This whole episode, this whole storyline is a v- is I feel like an episode that they give to like Bashir or like even like the EMH like this it's a very male focused like we don't really see especially women in Star Trek and like early Trek getting storylines like this and I really I really love that it was given to Bev. No I also just really one thing I really appreciate about this episode is that they allow Beverly and they allow all the characters on TNG to be this way, but she is very much allowed to be morally gray at times and even just straight up wrong. And yet her overall character is never called into question. She's not, it's, she's not, you know, people don't all come for her and say, well, you did this one thing that was wrong, albeit really, really bad. And I'm talking about not respecting the ritual, the burial rites. Mm -hmm. I actually think that was really bad that she she did that. It was really bad. Um, But I also think it's very realistic um, for sometimes, there's this very, very long, you know, debate throughout history, like people of science, people of faith, and I'm someone that thinks that they can both very wonderfully and beautifully coexist, but not a lot of people, a lot of people don't think that. And people of science often override people of faith or Mm -hmm. people that they view as having primitive customs, right? So I really hated that, that she did that. But what I liked is that she's allowed to be a person who's wrong at times, who, like you said earlier, Rihanna, who has flaws, who recognizes her own limitations. And we don't have this big scene where it's like, we thought you were a good person, but you did this one thing that's wrong, and now we're all never going to talk to you again. Like it's, I like that she's allowed to be so morally gray at times, even though she's such a good person. She made a really bad mistake, and good people do really bad things, and bad people sometimes do really good things. And Beverly is very much a, a good person with strong ethics, and I think she let her desire to find the truth override her respect of this other culture, but that's very realistic. We see this all the time. And so I like that it wasn't condoned at all, and yet we get to see her as a person. She's a real person who's made this mistake. And I just really, that's something I didn't notice the last time I watched it. And I really just loved that 
that whole aspect of this. And like you said, Sophia, that's again, that's something that men are allowed to do. Men in media are often allowed to be a lot more morally gray. They're allowed to make huge mistakes more frequently and mm -hmm. women, not so much. I mean, women, what, I mean, oh, I hate to fall into the whole trope, but I mean, you know, there's the trope of like, I mean, we either have to be the mother, the virgin or the whore, like that's what we get. Mm -hmm. In, in traditionally, right? And so to have a, a female character that can be all of those things, none of those things, um, lots of other things, even if it means giving her a plot line where she really crosses some massive ethical boundaries in the name of science, I loved it. I loved it because men get to do those things. Yes, yes, I am so oh, with that you. Beautiful. I love yeah. too that she was so upfront with Picard about it because I think my tendency, if I had done that, would have been to lie and to cover mm -hmm. it up and to like try to fix his body or something so it looked okay. Yeah. But she just goes right up to him and is like, you know what I did? <laughs> I did the thing you didn't want me to do. And they yeah. they have that relationship where it is built on trust and they have such a history. And Picard, of course, is disappointed in her, but I just thought it was really cool that she was so upfront with him because I just, I feel like I am not that strong. I would not have done that. Yeah, and I think that's another thing that sort of, like, maybe a stereotypical man would do, would just be like, oh, I did it, sorry, you know, or whatever. And so I think the fact that she also was able to own up to that is, like, I don't know, I think that it's so important to look at gender roles in this episode particularly because I think Riker would have acted really differently had it been, like, Jordy going on this investigation mm. he would have been like how can I help you man like can we figure something out or like but if it had been Troy he probably would have been the same thing like go read a book go lay down you know that kind of thing just wait out the trial don't do anything else when you know that like particularly with Beverly we know especially by now by this season that she is going to follow this through till the end and we know that she's passionate and like this is her project this is something that she's been leading and like it's a huge scientific discovery and people are being like killed and that's unacceptable and the fact that people sort of are just taking this like oh, another death of a random friendy scientist like that's not like that's just not cool that like literally everyone else was so casual about it and that Riker treated her that way because yeah I think if it had been any of the male crew members Riker would have been way more willing to like get in the trenches and investigate or like I don't know do something else to maybe give them a little bit of help and this is why i freaking love that Alyssa is the yes. one to help her this is the coolest part of the episode in my opinion like i think that the fact that like we know that Alyssa is going to stand by her they have been through a lot like i love that she's a recurring character that we get to see her in all of these different moments even if they're small like they're still really important to see especially because like crusher you know, needs those, needs help in sick bay, but she also needs someone to back her and to support her. And no one is here, you know, they're just citing regulation and all of this stuff. And if she were a man, it would be seen as like, oh, like you're going rogue and you're like taking these risks. And, but here it's like, you violated this and I can't believe you did that. Here's, get ready for your hearing and all this stuff. And I just love that Alyssa's like, let's pull up the logs. And she's like, is that an order for you not to help me? And Crusher's like, yes. And she's like, well, you're not my CMO anymore. <laughs> like, It's just amazing how she gets around that and is still willing to support Beverly with whatever she needs. And they can investigate this stuff together. Like, 
that is so, so amazing to me. I was just waiting to bring up Alyssa. I'm so glad you did. One of my favorite like women supporting women moments in in that scene, be, especially because Alyssa, I kind of expected her to bring up the logs and then leave, but no, mm-hmm. she's settling in. She's like, okay, let's figure this shit out, you know? Yeah, I love that. <laughs> oh, so good. And did you all expect Beverly to like go into the shuttle and test it out herself? Because like, I did not. <laughs> I love that. I feel like it was a perfect, it's almost like, I feel like they originally wrote it for like Riker or something. And then Gates McFadden was like, no, y'all wrote me out of season two. I don't think the hot tub frog episode aired yet, but that's still a grievance against Gates McFadden. (laughs) I feel like this was her being like, I'm good at acting. Let me do this. Yeah. Particularly, let me go pilot a shuttle and use all, you know, because I think in other episodes she's seen as sort of like a little less competent when it comes to like engineering and that kind of thing. But here we're seeing her just get to really utilize all she learned from this like scientific diplomacy role she's been in. She's clearly learned a lot from all the scientists she's been around. She was probably studying with that friend even before he came on board. And so I think that like we get to see her in a different element that she's still really proficient in. It's amazing to not just see her in sickbay and taking this risk, risking her life for this theory. It's incredible. Yeah, I think that just kind of just takes it home. Like you can tell how passionate she is about this and how sure she is that she's right. And again, like I just have to admire her because I question myself all of the time and I have these insecurities and she, even if she has them, she's still just, she trusts herself and she trusts her instincts. And I just, I love her so much. She just goes out and flies into the middle of the sun like yeah. a badass. Yeah. <laughs> and then roundhouse kicks that guy. Yes. Like, <laughs> like we were watching, I was rewatching it earlier and my husband came in and first of all, he said, well, you found Beverly. There she is. Yeah. And I was like, rude. Um, and then he just goes, ooh, roundhouse kick. And I was just like, go away, go away, or sit down and be quiet. You know Star Trek is sacred to me. Um, But yeah, that was just such a good scene where she just basically got to kick his ass. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I love that. I I was like, go, and he just came out of that cabinet. That was, I did not like that. (laughs) No. What I love that she first, like, blows a hole in him like you could see the other side of the bulkhead and then like she's like that's not enough he's not being put down so she vanishes him i'm like it probably would have been good to have like a body for evidence but like i guess they you know they can have other ways to extra- extrapolate the evidence but i was like that is so badass she's just like okay bye <laughs> yeah the vanish the vanish setting is like my favorite mode on the phaser because it's like worse than kill it's like yeah. no evidence <laughs> yeah like where did she send him (laughs) oh man sorry (laughs) wow amazing well do you have any final thoughts like i just want to open up the table a little bit if you have any other you know thoughts about crusher i know your whole podcast is about crusher (laughs) but um you know anything about these episodes or just about like her character in general that you want to say before we wrap up I will say, and then Sophia, it's your turn. Um, (laughs) I will say I often think to myself or say to some people that Deanna Troy is very much who I am as a person, but Beverly Crusher is 
often who I would like to be. She is such a good role model um, for anyone, but particularly I think women who find themselves doubting themselves a lot. Um, Troy in her own way is amazing and I could talk about her for forever as well, but the, the way, like you were saying earlier, Ashlyn, the way um, Beverly just, it's like, you know what, I'm doubting myself and I'm gonna do it anyway. And that's something that we don't get to see a lot in, you know, often like strong female characters don't get to be real people or something. Mm -hmm. It's like they're very two-dimensional and Beverly Crusher is not that. She shows us that you can be a strong individual and also doubt yourself. And that you don't have to always follow and act on the way you feel and your initial thoughts. And I really just, yeah, she's she's amazing. And I think if I could carry just a little bit of Beverly Crusher with me every day, then I would be really happy. So that's, yeah, those are my final thoughts about her. Amazing. Sophia. I'm upset that you went really profound. Sorry, but yeah, I'm upset that you went really <laughs> profound there, Adrian. because what I was going to say is... We give a lot of flack, well, by we, I mean Adrian and I specifically, um, about um, Kate Mulgrew basically being space Catherine Hepburn as um, <laughs> as uh, Janeway. But rewatching, especially, I think, Remember Me, Gates McFadden doing a not-so-subtle mid-Atlantic accent and making, like, very specific character choices. I, like, I just have this headcanon of her doing everything specifically to spite the male writers. Because we know that there was, like, some conflicts that she was basically like, my, per- my character's a doctor. I feel like they should know things. And they were like, no, you are only mother and you will fight by hitting people over the head with frying pans. Um, so I feel like she's done everything. Well, like, okay, Bev's going to be, she's going to have a mid-Atlantic accent. She's going to walk like she's doing ballet but underwater. And, like, she's just, <laughs> she's... Her character choices are so strange, and I love, as like a deeply strange person myself, I love that. Wow, Sophia, I'm so glad you brought this up because like, there's always something that I can't really put a finger on when I see Beverly on screen, especially in these centric episodes where I'm just like, she is like literally unlike any other character in Star Trek. And I think you're absolutely right. It's because she is taking on a the own her own version of the written role and that's something that's so beautiful about like these actors who get to sort of transcend what's written on the page and I think that sadly Gates McFadden had to do a lot of that on her own because the writers were giving her literally nothing to work with and except for the couple episodes that they gave her um that's like one to every four data episodes or one to every six Picard episodes. You know, I mean, they're just, it's so heavily male leaning, particularly in a crew that is heavily male dominated. And so I'm just like, I got to applaud Gates McFadden particularly for being so willing to just be her own character and her own version of Beverly. And like, I just really appreciate that like she was able to come back and maybe she was bitter after she, you know, in season three, I would be hella bitter. Um, but cause I remember just being absolutely devastated watching season two and not seeing her name there. I never could get into Pulaski cause I just felt like she's just replacing Bev. She is, this is devastating to me. And so seeing her come back and everything, I just got to applaud Gates McFadden for 
being able to come back into that environment that might have been kind of toxic and probably was pretty misogynistic and that's hard. I mean, I know that Terry Farrell dealt with so much shit on Deep Space Nine from Rick Berman and like it just breaks my heart that these actresses and these character or these people had to go through this to bring these inspiring characters to the screen, but they did it anyway. And that's just, oh, amazing. I just like love Gates McFadden and I love Beverly Crusher. And I wish people wouldn't just think of her as like, she's just there or she's like boring or whatever, because she's like the opposite of all of that. Like just because she's like, wasn't giving given good writing all the time doesn't mean that she's not there and she's not present and that she's like not still continuing to do amazing things so just important reminder like the writing does not reflect the entirety of a character exactly speaking of writing did you guys ever see i know sophia i've sent this to her i've asked her this like 85 times she's tired of me talking about it have you guys seen it's on the internet somewhere but someone bought a season one script that was Gates McFadden's script. And all down the sides of her lines, there's writing. And it's just her circling her lines going, stupid. No. No one would ever actually say this. Oh. No one, no real person talks like this. Stupid, <laughs> stupid, stupid. And it's the best thing I've ever seen. So That's I just incredible. had to bring that up. <laughs> Thank you for well. changing my life. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, wow, that's amazing. I love that. I'm not even surprised, especially sometimes those season one episodes just, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a slog. Hard to get through. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Um, Ashlyn, how about you? What's your connection and any other thoughts you have about Beverly? Oh, yeah. I mean, Adrian, like what you were saying about how, like, I think I totally agree with you that I am more of a Troy. Like, if, if someone were asking, who are you in TNG, they would say Troy probably. But I always have wanted to be Crusher. Always. She's so badass and awesome. And I, I like, had, I'm like, I identify as straight, but I've always had a crush on Crusher. <laughs> She's my Crusher. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because I just, I like, I admire her so much. I just want to be her. Uh, and something that always irked me, I love the Honest trailer for The Next Generation, if you haven't seen that on YouTube, but the one line I hate is like, you know, he's introducing the whole cast, and he's like, oh, and then there's Beverly Crusher, she's just kind of there, I guess, and I'm always just like, stop perpetuating this, like, thought that she just like stands there and does nothing because she's so awesome and just re-watching these episodes every time I see a Beverly episode I'm hyped I love like oh my gosh when her attached when her and Picard are like escaping yes. from prison oh. like oh I, I ship them so much and it's a it's tragic that she has not been seen since uh the movies since Nemesis so yeah, I'm on the lookout. I know Gates Mitzvaden is on the lookout. Um, <laughs> for so, a script or anything yeah. to hand her a script. For a script yeah. that she can circle and say nice, you know? Yeah. Like. <laughs> well, and really quick, too, um, I think also, like, all good things, Crusher, like, I just, I just wish that we could have gotten more of a, like, here's what she did. Like, she was, like such a badass in that sort of alternate timeline and I feel like Star Trek does this so often where they give characters these awesome like especially women characters they give them these awesome arcs in like mirror universes or alternate timelines and then you never hear about that that life that they lived again and it's back to their like quote-unquote like let's fit into a female role again or whatever and so I'm just like shouting out all of the women characters in Star Trek particularly Beverly who had like an epic 
timeline that got erased because like she deserves to have this whole amazing career that like she can lead and be just front and center and uh, I just want to know more about her so yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I mean, one of the great things is that we have so much new Star Trek content coming out right now, so we can just hope, you know? Yeah. Yep. That's all we can do, yeah. Well, well it, go ahead, Rihanna. Sorry. Before we wrap up, we have a final question that Ashlyn and I have been asking at the end of our feminist podcast episodes. And today we are asking both Sophia and Adrian, what which Star Trek character, which Star Trek female character in all of the next generation inspires you the most? And um, Ashlyn, would you like to start us off today? Oh, sure. Oh, man, me. <laughs> I said, put you on the spot. <laughs> um, well, I have to go with Beverly. I'm going to do the obvious one. I know we spent the last hour talking about her, but I... I don't know. I'm just so into her. I love her so much. I love that she is so confident um, about herself. Like, I, I love that she's so confident. She is able to be a mother and, like, wear all of these hats and pursue her own romantic relationships whenever she wants to. I She's so smart. She is CMO on, the be like, the best flagship in Starfleet. You know, like, that, that was not an easy journey for her. She's lost her husband. Like, I just love her, and if I could ever meet her, I would die. Yeah. yeah. What about you, <laughs> Sophia? <laughs> I'm, I, as much as I love Beverly, I have to go with my first love, Deanna Troy. I just think that, like, harnessing empathy as a superpower is something that I don't think was shown until that portrayal. And I just love that the, she's this, like, soft, feminine woman, but she's excellent as, at boundary settings. As much as people say that she stated the obvious, she's reframing. She's using actual therapy techniques in order to help the viewer and help other characters kind of show their unique perspectives. Like I just, a lot of the things that she gets flack for, I feel like are actually things that people use in therapy. So I feel like if you're saying that Deanna Troy is useless, you've never been in therapy, you should get some. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I just love that she's just this very like deeply traditionally, like what even is feminine, but basically traditional like feminine portrayal but she's just this badass who is incredibly good at her job incredibly good at um helping others get to where they want to be and i just really aspire to be that that's amazing great answer all right adrian how about you i'm also gonna say deanna troy even though Beverly does inspire me a lot, um, I'm going to say a lot of what Sophia already said, and that is Deanna Troy inspires me ultimately more than Beverly because she inspires me to be myself. And I think that's really, really powerful. And, you know, she was the first character or maybe person ever that I ever saw who was tr soft, traditionally feminine, and not weak, not also portrayed as weak. And I felt very much that way. And to be shown that I could be a strong, capable woman who didn't, and I also didn't have to be a man. Um, not that there's any, I love men, I love men, but Worf. But I didn't have to be Worf to, to be capable and to be strong. And I really appreciate that a lot. I still, I, I mean, I can't really even think of hardly any other characters 
that I've ever seen that are like that. And like you said, Sophia, the empathy as a superpower is just like if the world we still are not valuing they're traditionally called soft skills but we still as a society are not really valuing things like empathy and storytelling and connection in the way that we should and if we did we probably would be in a not in so many of the messes that we're in and so to see that in TNG where this character is portrayed that way and she's very much particularly in later seasons she's really really valued and her I love that so much. My husband makes fun of it. We've had arguments about it. But that the fact that people trust her gut instincts, her intuition in situations is not nothing. That mm-hmm. is not nothing. That is a type of intelligence. And we need people to say something feels really, really off about this situation. I don't know what it is, but we need to proceed with caution. That is so incredibly important, and we need that. And so... Oh, yeah, Deanna Troy. Beverly Crusher, though. Oh, oh, this is hard. Deanna Troy, though. Fantastic. I love that answer. I love the Troy love. I feel like we don't have enough of it in this world. So thank you both yes. for representing mm-hmm. Troy. Re- and Rihanna, close us out. <laughs> what about you? Well, I'm going to go a little out of pocket here. And I'm going to talk about Ro Laren because I think Ro is a phenomenal addition to the next generation i know that she's not in a lot of it and that she's kind of a glorified guest star often but i cannot just emphasize how much i love her character and her introduction into the show and how she really paved the way for kira narice like as a character and as sort of yes she was she was also there to be sort of an allegory and all of these different symbols but i think too the fact that she gets angry and that she is kind of aggressive and she will talk back to people she is like the definition of like well-behaved women don't seldom make history kind of thing you know and I just love that about her because I am a very non-confrontational um people used to call me shy sensitive dramatic you know all those words they want to use to belittle women I'm all of, I feel like I'm a lot of those things though. Like I just don't like to seek out confrontation. It makes me very uncomfortable. Even when I know something's wrong or even if I know that I'm right, it's really hard for me to speak out and say my truths. And I think that Ro will at any moment, doesn't matter who she's talking to. She's talking to an Admiral, Picard, she's talking to like Riker, you know, anyone. And so I think that she represented like the fact that women could have anger and they could be mad about things and that's okay and that you know they that she wasn't called like hysterical or you know whatever and so I think that is so important and she also gets to be like this badass liaison for Picard in the episode Instant Row and she has so much knowledge about just like how the world works and unfortunately a lot of that knowledge came from like the occupation of Cardassia on Bajor and everything but like oh it's just so important to have a character like Ro because like angry women are so just set aside or pushed away to say they're hysterical they don't deserve the time of day and that's just not true like if they're angry there's a reason for it listen to them you know and so I just really want to shout out Ro and yeah just the way that she paved the way for Kira Norris and for like the whole Bajor plot line and everything is so cool but she also gets to stand on her own and she's very different from Kira and that's also amazing so that's what I'm going for. 
There you go. I love it. <laughs> I was thinking about Row 2, and I'm glad you brought her up, Brianna. Yeah, she's epic. Well, and I'm really glad that we got to have you both on today. I just feel so, like, full of power. Like, yes. yes. (laughs) Feminine power. Yeah, we deeply appreciate you both coming on to talk about the amazing Beverly Crusher. And if you all haven't checked out Where's Beverly, go and listen right now. Their episodes are amazing. And where can we find your podcast and any social media so we're on uh, Instagram at at Where's Bev. We're on Twitter at at Where's Beverly. And Gmail, send us pictures of your cat and or your Picard slash Crusher fan fiction at Where's Beverly at gmail.com. And we're available wherever podcasts are podcasted. Woo-hoo. And we have a bonus episode out now in which I talk for 30 minutes about Subrosa. So if yes. that's your jam. I feel like this could be a that could be a good companion episode to this one, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Perfect. Well, thank you both for joining us today. We are thrilled to have you and please live long and prosper. <laughs> thank, thank you, you guys. So much. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> That was absolutely wonderful. I just feel like we're so lucky that Where's Beverly was able to join us to talk about the incredible Beverly Crusher. And thank you all for tuning in for our Beverly segment. (laughs) Yeah, that was actually, I was thinking about it, the first female podcasters we've had on our podcast. And I feel like there's not too many of us out there. So Not for Star Trek, at least. Yeah. Yeah, not for Star Trek. So once again, just thank you. Where's Bev? And I hope that someday we have the answer to where's Bev. Oh my God. Maybe on March 3rd when Picard comes out. Uh, Is is, it the 3rd? It is not. That's really close. That's why it's Picard week tomorrow. Uh, Uh, um, Oh yeah. By the time you will have, by the time this comes out, Picard week will be done. We had a blast doing it with Strange New Pod. We haven't done it yet, but I already know it's a blast. Yeah, it's (laughs) going to be amazing. And uh, you will be able to go on and listen to all of the recordings from that week on Strange New Pod's Twitch. Yes, and we will keep the link. Right now, the link in our bio has the Picard week schedule. But once, of course, this pod is out, it will have our episode on Picard and Diplomacy that we were doing on Saturday with Strange New Pod's Julian. We're very excited. I just can't wait. This is crazy, though. We're watching probably the most TNG I've seen in quite a while, back to back. Brianna, no, (laughs) not even. The family series. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's true. I think we had a list of like 30 episodes. I think it was like 40. That was a two-parter. We had to like break up Worf into like a whole section. (laughs) Worf and Data were the only two in one episode. That was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because I continue to think about the family series all the time same and i think especially while we've been doing the feminism series i'm hearkening back to everything that we talked about in the family series because a lot of that family trauma comes up in everyday episodes yeah absolutely you know i was thinking the exact same thing particularly because we're going to talk about loaxana troy for this episode of feminism and we watched this episode cost of living for family but it was so cool getting to see it through a feminist lens and this is something i know we say literally all the time but like i love getting to watch the same episodes through a different lens and it is really fun being on a very specific 
theme again because with the movie series that was also really fun we had so much freedom to talk about the entire film and now we just have to go back to being like really specific about what we talk about and it just gives me a whole new perspective and so i'm super excited that we get to talk about the rest of these women in tng yeah and someone that i really appreciated getting to watch again especially from a feminist perspective was yar and so now that we are we have left beverly behind we are going (laughs) to continue our podcast with the rest of the women from tng so i'm gonna go ahead and read these episodes and then you're gonna pause the podcast you're gonna watch them all and then you're gonna come back <laughs> and listen right i think that's what everyone does whenever they listen to our podcast they study oh, of up course. they're ready yeah. for the book club and then <laughs> we have the meeting so all right we're gonna... <laughs> we've done our homework and for this part of the pod we watched for yar yesterday's enterprise for Ensign Rowe, we watched, surprise, Ensign Rowe. For Guinan, we watched Q Who, and then scenes from The Offspring and Time's Arrow. And also, Loki Guinan's in, like, every episode that we watched today, so. Yeah. Yeah, Guinan's just a constant She's throughout. She's versatile. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we went on to Kalar in The Emissary, not to be confused with the Deep Space Nine episode. It's so weird that they have one called Emissary and one called The Emissary. Yeah, you know, they don't mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then we went on to Lawaxana and we watched The Cost of Living. And we closed out this watch list with Troy, of course, the other heavy hitter in Next Generation, by watching Face of the Enemy and then scenes again from The Offspring and Disaster. And of course... Of course, Troy's in all these episodes too, so we got yeah. a lot of Troy to go around. Woo! That's what I like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually, you know, I'm so glad that uh, Sophia and Adrian were big Troy fans because, Rihanna, you and I are self proclaimed, like, not that into Troy. <laughs> yeah. And I found myself uh, kind of thinking about her from a different perspective after they were advocating for her so much. So I'm excited for the end of the podcast where we can dive more into Troy. Yes, I have a lot of upcoming thoughts about that as well. Yes. But first, we're going to talk about the former chief of security, Tasha Yar, who only lasted a season and who came back for yesterday's Enterprise in this spectacular episode. And we chose this one. There's a lot of really good Tasha Yar content out there, but I feel like this one really says who she is as a character and she gets a better ending than Skin of Evil ever gave her. And I just, yeah, anyway, let's dive into this. Ashlyn, how do you feel about Tasha Yar as a character and her role in the show? Oh man, I've had quite the journey (laughs) (laughs) with Yar. Uh, First time watching through Next Generation, I just hated her, full hate, because I think when I was younger, actually I know that I had a lot of not hate for women, but I think I had a lot of indoctrinated ideas in my head about how women were supposed to be and act. And Yar really subverted all those expectations. She was someone who was really strong, but I kind of took it as someone who was trying too hard. Um, Mm -hmm. She seemed like she was trying to be a good security officer and just was failing because she was a woman. And I think honestly was kind of what I was Mm -hmm. thinking. I have a lot of internal 
um, misogyny that I realized I've been trying to work out for a long time. And I think a lot of that baggage comes from Yar. This is like a, a really random tangent, but I think it's just important to recognize that when you're younger, at least for me, the only way I thought that I could fit into this male-dominated society was to be really masculine and to kind of side with a lot of ideas, especially male ideas, that women were supposed to be and act a certain way. And I I just fell into that a lot of the time. Obviously, that's not true. And as I've been growing up, I've definitely changed my opinion. I've done 180s basically on all of these thoughts but back then when i was a kid i was a tomboy and i hated wearing dresses it was the only way for me to fit in with my friends who were mostly male or like soccer players and we were all really like rough so all of that just to say that i hated yar i think because she just seemed not right for the post and what's the sad reality is that Denise Crosby had a terrible time on the set of TNG and the writers, producers, like no one really liked her. And this is why she died in the show. Also by choice, she wasn't having a good time. So why would she stay doing something that she didn't enjoy? As Guinan says in Yesterday's Enterprise, she got an empty death, a meaningless death. And that's really the worst possible thing that can happen to a character. So now being older and like understanding my old views, I is still don't really like Yar, but I really respect her and I really understand where she's coming from. Again, because of the family series, knowing that she had such a tough childhood and she basically came from nothing and built her way all up or, and worked her way all the way to the flagship of the Enterprise is pretty unbelievable. So I think that... I mean, Rhian and I were really fighting, honestly. We don't fight very much, but I really wanted to watch The Naked Now for oh this Yar God. episode. You know, I mean, I'm all about, <laughs> like, Yar having sex with Data. Let's, that's why, like... Why did you say that on this podcast, <laughs> Ashley? I'm just like, that's just something, like, no one talks about. <laughs> like, don't talk about that. I mean, it's clearly the best Yar episode, Rihanna, so... <laughs> See, this is the thing, is it was hard to find a good Yar episode that didn't portray her in these weird ways, either try to sexualize her too much or make her just like hot-headed and not listening. It was sort of difficult to find the, not difficult, obviously, because yesterday's Enterprise exists and there are moments in episodes where Yar kicks some butt, kicks some ass. We can say that because we had guests. <laughs> yeah. So, Ashlyn, thank you so much for your insight and talking through that. I'm I think I really am like proud of you for working through that because I think a lot of women are taught and I too fell into this a lot where you're supposed to be fighting against other women and you're supposed to be competing constantly for the highest seat or the most attention or whatever it is you're trying to get that is hard to get in a man's world. And so I had similar feelings about Yar. I think my feelings about Yar came more from a place of like, I feel like she didn't fit in with the crew. The scenes she was in were really jarring and they didn't really like work with the rest of how the crew, like the rest of the crew's mentality, particularly how much she like would sort of butt heads with Picard. Um, and it was that. And I think it was also just a lack of actual good writing for her character. Yep. Because I feel like every episode I'm trying to think about that she's in are just sort of like not very memorable or 
ones I wouldn't go back and watch, you know, because season one of TNG is already a rough road anyway, and it's the script's already not that well written. It's been a rough oh. road, <laughs> getting from one to two. <laughs> yes, I love this remix. Um, and it's true. I think that, like, Yar got a really tough time of it because of all of those things you said, Ashlyn. She had to be more masculine to fit a masculine role. I think, and that didn't sit well with me, that, like, she had to be sort of this, like, okay, of course you have to be a strong and, like, gruff if you're going to be a security chief. That's sort of, you know, like, the stereotypical Starfleet security chief has got, like, like shacks, you know? I'm like, thinking shacks, really, like, too, yeah. Literally, he'll, like, growl at you. <laughs> like, that's awesome. Odo, of course, is like, uh, you know? They, they <laughs> so, all growl, Rihanna. They all growl. Worf growls all the freaking time. Oh, my God. <laughs> Um, I don't think Scotty growls, but he, no. it, he's not really chief Reed, of security. Oh. Reed growls every day. Yeah, he, he grumpy <laughs> A groans. British growl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I think that, like, I just feel like she, the rest of the ship was very, like, oh, diplomatic. Like, let's talk about diplomacy. And, and even though the first season is so stilted with their relationships, I think that, like, at least they all had a similar sort of, like, tone and Yar's tone was just completely different and so I always felt very jarred when Yar was there but also I think it I think you're right Ashlyn my hatred also came from this sort of internalized sexism that I had and this sort of because there was always those questions in middle school are you a tomboy like if I you know wore like combat boots or plaid shirts or something i was like a tomboy or like if you played sports you were a tomboy when it's like that's so ridiculous you can play horses and wear dresses and still be like athletic and all of this stuff but especially in like middle school and elementary school that was very much the time where like the sexes had to fit into their certain roles at least in our era and i think in a lot of other eras and so I just remember, like, I and Rian and I both went to the same elementary and middle school, and Mm -hmm. it was, like, very privileged, for sure, and I think, at least for me, I would not have fit in if I wasn't able to kind of gain respect from the boys, honestly, and I wouldn't have fit in. I had to play soccer every day at recess because I had to be better than them, and also I'm really competitive, but yeah. that's just how, that's just what I grew up thinking is like, I have to earn male respect, which is it's just <laughs> wrong. <laughs> so wrong, yeah. but so understandable why you felt that way. And truly, I think this is a lot where Yar is coming from, is fighting to earn the respect of her fellow shipmates because they're like, do we know of any other, okay, I guess Non is the only other female security officer that I can think of who's like a chief or like in charge in all of Star Trek. Yeah. It's still a very heavily male-dominated position in Starfleet in general. And so I think that it creates a lot of sexism within the position. And I think that Yar did have to fit into these roles. And so this is all to say that I have also really changed my tune on Yar. And I now like see her for this, the symbol she was trying to be and see her for what they were trying to go for with the writing. And I also see the fact that she wasn't a conventionally beautiful woman. She didn't have long hair and like, you know, sort of Troy vibes. Even Crusher had like the longer hair and more of like quote unquote feminine qualities and Yara was the antithesis of that and so I think that's the other reason why she didn't last very long and it just makes me sad to think that like 
<laughs> more masculine women or masculine presenting women are like not they have to be in these sort of like male dominated roles it's just interesting so yeah i still have a lot of com- complex feelings when it comes to yar absolutely yeah and i could not be happier that yesterday's enterprise exists I mean, first of all, we didn't get to cover it in our time travel series, and I've been itching right. to talk about it more. We didn't cover it because it was uh, anomaly-based time travel, which you might remember yeah. was a strict rule. <laughs> <laughs> no anomalies, only species-based yes. time travel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> only purposefully created time travel. Enterprise is just, like, chilling, doing its own thing, and... Guinan is, I think, just like chilling and 10 forward. Everyone's hanging out. And then suddenly she sees uh, Anomaly open up in the window. And she's like, uh-oh, is this dot, dot, dot. And then the whole thing changes. Basically, all the lights get dimmer on the ship. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I guess this is just what battle ships look like. Yeah. It's like the Enterprise turned into a warship, and now it has dimmer lights. And yeah. everyone is just, like, more grumpy. Picard yells a lot in this episode. Like, he has much lower patience than he normally does. He's um, very hardened, from the war. Oh, very yeah. hardened. Yeah, it makes me sad. I don't want to talk about Picard in this episode, but I have to. Yeah. Um, he's, like, not meant to be a wartime captain. Like, he, I mean, he he's a great mm-hmm. wartime captain, yeah. <laughs> but he thrives so much yeah, in like peace he's and diplomacy. You yeah, can tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is not what he wanted to do with his life. Yeah, exactly. So we learn, because then a ship comes through the, the void, <laughs> comes through this um, anomaly, <laughs> And it is a ship from the past. It is Enterprise C from 22 years in the past. And they just came from a harrowing, awful battle with the Romulans. And mm-hmm. they're not supposed to be there because they were supposed to, like, the original, the way the timeline's supposed to go is the Romulans are supposed to destroy Enterprise C. And the Enterprise C was trying to save a Klingon outpost. And so yeah. their sacrifice maintains peace between the Klingons and the Federation because their diplomacy was really rocky at that point. But because they're in the present time with Enterprise D, that means none of that happened, and we've had basically 22 years of war, or 20 years of war with the Romulans, and Picard mentions it is not going well. It's going way worse than everyone would have you believe, and the Federation is going to have to surrender in the next, like, six months. Yeah. Wow. Great. <laughs> the synopsis there, Ashley. Oh, I feel like you did all the synopsis so well when we were talking <laughs> to Where's Bev, so I, I thought I'd just take one for the team. You kicked ass. Thank you. So I want to mention something that is like extremely important to all of these episodes, and it doesn't even have to do with Yar, so I'm sorry, but everyone should just listen to Guinan all of the time and you will be fine. It's just like, why would you ever not listen to Guinan? And this is like kind of the moral of this episode. (laughs) Not really, but like, it's a part of the episode that uh, Guinan knows this is wrong. She knows that she does not know Yar as well as she's supposed to. And she, because of her species and just like her, I guess, ability to like see both of these realities, it's so cool. She's able to understand that like this is not right. Something is desperately wrong about all of this. And she comes to Picard and he's at first like, I don't know, that seems sus. But then he's like, she's like, when have I ever been wrong? He's like, oh yeah, never. (laughs) And so then he finally trusts her. And so I think that this is really important because Guinan is a character that I don't think was introduced till season two, right? Yeah. Yeah. So she never got to meet Yar, right? And like, that's what we hear in yesterday's Enterprise is that like, 
she's only heard stories and so being around her is sort of uncomfortable because she doesn't really know why she doesn't know her that well and of course Yara's like Guinan I've known you for four years this is in the middle of season three but Yara has been serving on the Enterprise for four years and this just breaks my heart because like seeing Yara just in her element doing these amazing things I mean obviously it's sad not to see Worf on screen but like it was really refreshing to me to get to see Yara just like truly in her element just being like super incredible the whole time like I feel like she really got to shine in this episode because you know that was sort of I feel like the point of the episode was to give Yar this character one last like try to make her you know like more immortalized and remember that like this is actually a really cool character we made we just fucked up the first time around and actually like writing her well and treating Denise Crosby well and all of this stuff that it's like should be pretty common to do I don't know like but you know so I think this is a great redemption for her I think it 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 shows all of her different facets as well like this episode is really good at covering that like yes she's chief of security and she does really good at her job and then she also has a little love interest in this episode and they get close really quickly from the Enterprise C and so it shows like she also has this sort of like soft affectionate side and she also has this crazy engineering knowledge and she's like down in the bowels of the ship helping them out with I don't know all the all the jargon I'm bad at the techno babble but like I don't know I think that this episode so beautifully shows us every facet of Tasha Yar that we did not get to see we we would see an episode where she's chief security and then we'd see another episode where she's banging data you know and this just feels completely different and like i just can't i don't know who she is because we're only getting snippets of her so finally i feel like this episode gave us the complete picture of yar and how like we all have a different side of us and i don't know it was just it was beautiful yeah and i think we get to see yar if she had had the time to really cement these relationships with the rest yeah. of the enterprise crew And I also think that maybe she is the type of person who thrives during wartime because... Oh, yeah. That technology that you were mentioning, like she's in the bowels of the ship, I don't know if she had that technical knowledge when we first met her in season one. And I feel like that's something that in wartime, you lose people and you have to learn new things on the job a lot of the time. Yeah. And I feel like this is probably something that she picked up. And also, she just seems just like really calm too. And I'm not getting that same sense of desperation that I get in some of the early TNG episodes where she has to prove that she's the best and she knows the right answer. She's just very confident in herself. And I just love to see her thriving in this environment. I just wish it wasn't because of the war, but yeah. yeah. You mentioned the love interest too. His name is Richard. And initially I was really pissed because he was hitting on her when she goes over to yeah. Enterprise C. He's totally putting all the moves. And I'm like, um, we are in the future. You don't yeah. just like hit on women anymore. But <laughs> she is so into it. And yeah. they like have instant chemistry. And I actually felt totally. this chemistry. To the Same. point where, because obviously later in this in the show, uh, later in TNG, we see Sela, who was Yard's child with a Romulan, um, yeah. because she ends up surviving this episode. But I, I like totally forgot about that, and I thought that maybe she got pregnant from Richard. I wish. And then that was Sela, but that's not true. So I just I made know, up. I wish she <laughs> had a less traumatizing like experience <laughs> with having a child. Yeah, Ashlyn. I totally agree. Their chemistry is beautiful. And I like sort of first, she's a little like, 
no, no, like, like, we got to focus, because he is hitting on her, like, while there's, like, his dead crewmen around him and stuff, I'm like, buddy, come on, like, or you could be a little better with your timing, but then, you know, they really get into it once they're back on Enterprise, and she's sort of showing him around technology and stuff, and I think she also likes how quickly he catches on to the, the new technology, and, like, he's very sharp, and also the fact that, like, he didn't go to, like, Troy to go and hit on her right away just because he sees boobs. He's like, must hit on boobs, you know? And I'm not saying that Yara isn't sexy. Like, I'm trying not to, like, sexualize these women too much, obviously, but I'm just trying to say that, like, I feel like Yar is not like as quote unquote conventionally attractive. And so I just love that like he's immediately like, yeah, that's my lady. Like she's looking hot today. And then he's like, I'm just going to go for it. And Yar's like, all right. So, but they still get their work done. Like it's weirdly well balanced during this crazy wartime. There's like Klingons on the starboard bow. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just thinking about There's Star Wars. There's Klingons on the starboard bound, starboard bound, starboard bound. There's Klingons on the starboard bound, starboard bound, jam. Anyway, um, that's a great song going in the club. It's called Star Trek. <laughs> I'm the Starship Enterprise under, under Captain, Captain Kirk. Kirk. <laughs> anyway, um... <laughs> So there's Klingons probably, you know, they're approaching and like, so she's still doing her chief security jobs and flirting up this man. It's just so cool. I'm like, she is versatile as fuck. And I love it. Yeah, I totally agree. She's just in her element. And I just, I, I love to see her thriving. Yeah, exactly. I want to also bring up the really amazing captain of the Enterprise C, this is a woman. Yes. Wow. <laughs> so that's great. Um, and her that's name... during like Kirk movie times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they have the Kirk movie outfits, the uh, TOS mm-hmm. movie era outfits. With the bibs. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, her name is Captain Garrett. And she, I, I would be so surprised if there wasn't some inspiration for Captain Janeway from her because she is like covered in grime like Janeway is during Year of Hell and she's coming off this like terrible battle but she also is really upfront and honest with her crew about everything that's happening. Picard wants to kind of keep them in the dark because it could really alter the timeline and really mess things up if the crew goes back with some upgraded technology or with some knowledge of the future. Who knows what could happen? And I mean, at first they're kind of trying to decide, should they send the Enterprise back? Should they not? But ultimately they do decide to, I I just love that Garrett knows her crew so well, because when she decides to tell them we are going back, she notices that they still have hope and she's really in touch with them. And I just hate that she dies so much. Oh, it's awful. I think it gives the plot incentive and it gives Yara a reason to stay, but I hate that th- I hate that that she's just uses plot fodder. Like that's so dumb. She is such a cool character and I know that like they were literally sending her back to die in a couple minutes anyway, but it's just awful that like she sort of dies a similar meaningless death as yes. Yara did. That's what I was going to say. Like why do we have to have this meaningless death? Can't she just die yeah, in for women especially? Yeah, yeah, come on. This episode is a reset for Yar. I want a reset Garrett episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we think I keep doing is just like resetting these meaningless deaths. Um like you know Dax. Rihanna, Sorry. Rihanna. Oh, oh my so god. Sad. You could just shut your mouth. I'm meeting oh, no, you. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
As you should. Oh my god, wow. I'm sorry, but you know it's true. Uh, well, anyway, <laughs> uh, no justice for, for Captain Garrett. And I also just want to briefly jump back to Guinan because this is exactly the Remember Me plot that we just talked about with Where's Beverly. Guinan has this instinct, this iron hard instinct that she knows that something is wrong, but she doesn't know what. She's very vague. And Picard is like, we need some proof, like some evidence, anything, literally. And Guinan's like, I'm sorry. All I can give you is that when I look at you, you this is wrong. The ship is wrong. <laughs> everything is wrong. <laughs> like she, yep. <laughs> yeah. And so I do think that it takes a little bit more convincing for Picard to really believe her. Um, compared with Beverly, I think right away mm -hmm. he was able... I mean, obviously it's different circumstances because it's Picard's entire reality is being questioned rather than like how many crewmen are on the Enterprise, yeah. you know? So it's, it's de definitely different situations. But I thought it was interesting that it just took him a little bit longer. And he was like, I don't want to believe you, but I have to. And then especially, you know, once they're putting all the facts together, it kind of falls into yeah. place that this is wrong. And ultimately, isn't any future better than 20 years of war with the Klingons? And it's yeah. probably worth giving it a try, even if, you know, you lose the noble Enterprise C and her crew. Absolutely. I think that this is a story that we see a lot in Deep Space Nine later seasons where you have to understand the sacrifices of war and they can sometimes be heavy, you know? And so I think that this sacrifice that the Enterprise C does is just phenomenal and amazing that like most of, I think all of the crew went back, like the remaining crew who was alive went back and that's, incredible because i think a couple might be like can i just hitch a ride in this century if it doesn't work you know i don't want to go back to something that's but i think all of them agreed they're like well same thing you said ashlyn like it's better than war and i do like too that picard when he's convincing garrett that Guinan is right and that this is the best thing to do he says she has a special wisdom mm -hmm. and i was like that's just so true and i really liked that Garrett was immediately like, all right, then let's, what we're going to go for, you we're know, we're going like, to believe women. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So I think that's just so cool. And if it were a male captain, I think they would have gotten a way more pushback from this, like, who's this random woman telling me what's going on? Who knows? And there's a lot of open-minded men, but like, I was, I'm still just like, that was awesome. That was epic that Garrett. Yeah. I think you're so right. She must be an inspiration for Janeway. I mean, she inspired me to think about Janeway. <laughs> Yeah, she inspired me to want a Captain Garrett show <laughs> of the Enterprise C. Like, come on. Exactly. Or like a short track, even. I'll take that. I also, so just a last uh, kind of tribute to Yar. One part that I thought was really special was Yar was talking to Picard because she wants, she is requesting to be transferred to the Enterprise C. And Picard is just baffled by this. He's like, what? Like, what are you talking yeah. about? This is so weird. I think she really reflects her death message from Skin of Evil because she says something to Picard like, I've always known the risks that come with wearing a Starfleet uniform and this is always been a possibility and I'd rather go down with a death that's full of meaning rather than a useless one. Like basically Guinan told her what happens, which, yeah. and Picard is kind of mad at Guinan. He's like, what gave her the right? 
you know, like mm-hmm. to tell her that. And Yar was basically like, I pushed her into it because mm-hmm. it's my life. It's my decision. And you I just absolutely get to know. Yeah. And so I just thought that was a really great speech at the end with Yar. And he convinces Picard. I mean, ultimately, it is her decision. He can't order her to do anything. But I think it's awesome because as we know, once reality is restored, Yar's just going to vanish anyway. And yeah. so it's better, quote unquote, that she goes back within a price C. Of course, now knowing what happens with Sela, I wonder if she would have made the same decision. Mm. But dot, dot, dot. <laughs> oh, don't make me cry on this Yar episode. <laughs> yeah. Ashlyn, I think you're so right. This is beautifully said. And another thing I want to say about Yar is just that she has such poise and grace like you were talking about of course with the episode in general like she seems like she's really good for a battle scenario but also just in the knowledge that she gets from Guinan that would be terrifying I'd be like sobbing on the corner you know like in 10 forward just like face planning and she's just like okay like I know what I have to do and she's within her resolve and then of course Captain Garrett dying pushes her saying like I will be a good tactical officer and I like to think that she probably bought them the minutes they needed for the Klingons to like, you know, see them and respect them and everything. And so like, that's, that's kind of amazing. And, um, I don't know. I think that there, it's really commendable that she was able to like keep her poise during that moment because, and it's also totally fine if she did break down. Like, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, you know, to like be sobbing in the corner. It's just like, that's so yar to me. And I just think it's amazing. Um, I do love after everything's restored, Guinan asked Jordy to tell her about Tasha Yar. And I love that. Like, through the veil, she's like, I want to get to know this person better. And, oh, just makes me so happy because Guinan, like, no one else, I feel like, would do that and take the time. And it's just beautiful. Guinan is so cool. Yeah. Yeah, and I love that. Well, I was kind of hoping that she would ask Jordy like what happened to the Enterprise C because that's kind yeah. of what I wanted to know. <laughs> Same. Like, can I Google like computer? Tell me about the battle of Enterprise C. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but them? she's definitely more of a people person. She wants to know the stories and not the plot. Yeah. A lot of the time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's so good. Yeah. Um so someone else that is a really strong person uh, I think is Ensign Rowe, and I feel like they yes. kind of like go well together. Ensign Rowe is introduced in season five in the very beginning, and she is someone who's so interesting and I think is one of the big kind of gateways to D Space Nine and the conflict with the Cardassians and Bajorans. And this episode really like blows open that whole plot. Uh, We see that she has been transferred to the ship. I immediately got Michael Burnham, like mutineer Michael Burnham vibes because Ensign Rowe has been in prison. Also Tom Paris vibes, Loki, um, (laughs) coming from a penal colony. There's some incident that happened with her. It doesn't really say, but apparently she didn't follow orders and her crewmates died. And she was yeah, put in people. Yeah, she was put in prison because of it. It sounds really unfair, whatever happened, that she was blamed yeah. for it. But she said it was her fault, so I don't know. But I'm wondering if someone told her it was her fault and she just didn't disagree. You know, I'm worried about well, that. Well, I mean, yeah, they said that she didn't even defend herself at the trial. Yeah. So 
sad already. Um, yeah. Sad backstory. <laughs> but essentially this admiral recruits her. And we don't know at the beginning, but we find out later that he is kind of in bed with the Cardassians. Mm-hmm. Really, he's being played by the Cardassians. He thinks that arming them is a good idea, <laughs> which is like insane. Yeah, uh, because dumb. the Bajorans have been attacking a Federation outpost. And really, it was the Cardassians. And so basically, Roe is this guy's puppet. And it's really gross. We all hate the admirals. You know, like, once you become an admiral, you become evil (laughs) and (laughs) self-serving and too much power. And this is exactly what happens with this admiral. And so then when Roe comes on the ship, everyone hates her. No one wants to sit with her at 10 forward. Even when Troy and Crusher ask, yeah, Yeah. they they ask to sit with her and she says no, like she wants to be very isolated. And really, she just has like a serious burden on her shoulders. Yes. And we're lucky that we get to keep her throughout. Like she gets to stay on the Enterprise for the rest of the show. So I think this is an awesome introduction to Ro. It's incredible. It's one of the best like solo character introductions because I think immediately I'm drawn to her as a character and I'm like oh man this is gonna be fascinating because we always get these really like buttoned up like tight-knit officers aboard Enterprise D and anytime we get someone who's not falling into that mold it creates a really interesting dynamic and like sometimes with Barkley I'm like puke I hate this (laughs) but but with like someone like Ro it works really well to like create enough tension that by the end of the episode, you know they're both going to have a deeper understanding, you know? Like, this is just TNG formula, but it's not something I ever get tired of. It's always just really beautiful that, like, they're butting heads now, but I think there's going to be a resolution. Absolutely. Well, and I think this also paves the way for Kira and Arise, you know, coming up with Whoa. Space Nine. I was really thinking about Kira, and I think Ro just really embodies the average Bajoran who has, like, gone through so much. I think Ro says that she defines herself because she couldn't live in the slums and she used Starfleet as an escape route to escape the occupation, essentially. And I do think that Ro is younger than Kira, so I don't know yeah. like if she was in the occupation camps, but I'm assuming that's how she grew up. I think she did, but I think you're right. She probably joined the fleet pretty early. Yeah, she just was trying to escape, which who can blame her? I, I would have done that too. But I do agree that it is great to see someone who isn't all about rules and i mean honestly i'm again i have so many characters that i'm connecting row with but it's like mariner too from yes from lower decks i really really strongly connect mariner um, because both of them are characters that don't play by the rules but have a really strong like sense of morality and right and wrong and they want to do the best that they can even if it's not like starfleet approved yes Ashlyn, thank you for bringing up Mariner, too, especially the line where she says, I don't stay anywhere long enough to make friends. Yes, yeah. You know, that's very Mariner as well. And the sort of being closed off and pushing people away. Very Mariner, you know. And another thing, you connected her to Michael. I think, too, she's similar in the way that in this newest season, season four of Discovery, I feel like she's kind of 
a puppet for for the president. Yeah. And it pisses me off so much because, like, she's just like, no, you convinced the people from Navarre to stay. No, you hold this whole council meeting. And Michael has repeatedly told her, like, I'm not a person for politics. Like, can I just captain my starship, please? You know? And so I think similarly, Roe is being tugged in these different directions by people who know that they can utilize her race as an advantage. Yeah, well, and that's why she's handpicked by this admiral isn't because of her, like, diplomacy skills. It's only because she's Bajoran. And he feels like she might be able to talk to them, like, talk to the Bajoran faction that is supposedly attacking the outpost, which we learn it's not, even the Bajorans. It's the Cardassians. And she is completely against the plan. She knows I'm not going to be able to talk anybody into peace because we've had this occupation for so long. And this... It's really interesting, like, they go on this outpost where there's a lot of Bajoran people settled, and this side of the Civil War basically is that they have left Bajor, and Cardassians have completely occupied Bajor at the moment, and so this is an outpost of people who have escaped their homeworld and are just trying to survive, and are you know the the leader of that is like super cool he's basically saying i want blankets and you want diplomacy like picard you just walked in on this conflict um when there was one outpost attacked maybe we should have attacked a lot sooner you know yes (laughs) um to get starfleet involved i do love that about him i think that he's a really cool leader and it is really interesting to see these different outposts and to see like where the bajorans are in this timeline Roe has such an interesting role, especially when she's, like, talking about Bajoran culture and stuff, because, like, she's not really one to get in the dirt like Kira, you know, and join all these factions and go and commit some war crimes and, like, get the shit done. She's definitely more of a person, like you said, who's seeking escape and who does not really want to be involved in this diplomacy but she was literally gotten out of prison that's the other thing is the admiral didn't just handpick her he gave her a way out of prison if she did this job for him you know and so it's just like sneaky and i don't like it and i don't like how they're using her but also you can tell that though they're using her for her bajoran culture she has so much respect for the different cultural aspects like her name i love when she says most bajorans accept the distortion of their names to assimilate i do not I was like, whoa, that's amazing. You know, and you know that like yes, Kira I doesn't. I think that it's just really cool to talk about assimilating to a culture when people are dispersed, especially because they said the Bajor, because they call them Bajor in this episode, which is weird, but they said the Bajor, isolated, treated like pariahs. So like we're seeing Ro in this position where she is isolated because of her race and she still is going to be outward about it and still respect her culture and traditions. And I don't know, it's just really cool. And I it makes me really bad that when she beams a board Riker is like you know the Starfleet uniform regulation and he makes her take off her earring I was like I was looking around I'm like what's wrong with her uniform like it looks all regulation and then I was like oh my god he wanted her to take off her religious piece yeah and I I really had to pause to think about that because I feel like Starfleet would have some kind of rule about that I mean, the earring for... She keeps it the rest of the time. Yeah, the Bajorans, like, that's an expression of their religion, and it seems like it would be really against Starfleet policy to have her remove that. I mean, I feel like... That's discriminatory, like, literally. Like, yeah, I... 
wow. Where's your HR? Like, Riker, what the hell? It's really wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that would be the equivalent of asking a Jewish person to remove their yarmulke at their yeah. place of work. That's so disrespectful. Yeah. Like, or like, whoa. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> so true. Yeah, so I was really offended um, by that. And also just, um, this episode's interesting because it really makes you empathize with Ro and her situation because basically the episode is from her perspective. And I found myself being angry with Riker, like you're talking about, angry with Picard, mm-hmm. angry with everyone on the ship except for Guinan because yes. she, again, Guinan's always right. Uh, yes. When there's like rumors running wild about Ro on the ship and she's sitting alone at 10 forward, Jordy even is saying like, if I was on an away team with her, I wouldn't turn my back on her. You yeah, know, like, like what? what? Say the same stuff they're saying about Michael when she first comes back. Exactly. And Guinan says, ah, that sounds like someone I want to be friends with or someone I yes. want to get to know. And so she goes over and she is really Rose advocate this entire episode. And Guinan is the only one who convinces Ro that you should talk to Picard about this because this is really fucked up what this Admiral's yeah. having you do. And um, Picard is able to take action because of that. So once again, I just have to like, just say like women trusting and helping other women is so powerful and this is what uh is able to stop the corruption that is happening in starfleet and picard can't even believe it he's like the admiral is doing what now like he he can barely believe his ears but only because guinan is saying oh i vouch you know yes Um, she's like and you remember that o'brien like gangster episode oh (laughs) Um, god that was so where the guy's like i vouched for you man i don't know who it was i swore for you or whatever it is yeah i don't know but yeah i love that basically guinan's like i promise she's cool man (laughs) yeah exactly and this is again coming up to picard decision to trust Guinan in these moments and he still is steadfast in him trusting her it still takes some like questioning and confusion when like you know it's it's just interesting because he is all the time like you're my best friend I trust you all the time and then he's constantly questioning her like we're gonna see this again anyway just find that curious but I think this episode does shed light on all of our characters and on Starfleet you said it's starting to reveal the corruption within the Admiralty and also how easy it is for people to jump to conclusions about others you know when Roa has sent down early on the planet by the Admiral's orders they're like first of all she's late to the transporter room like I didn't expect anything less like essentially I don't know if they say that but it's the tone and it's just sort of the like the vibe of the room is really off and I just don't like it because you know that they're immediately judging her like oh she's late because she's incompetent and like she had to go to prison you know all of this stuff not learning her situation like Guinan is literally the only person who actually gets to know her for who she is and not just fought like falling into the rumor trap and i just oh it makes me so mad but at the same time like so happy that Guinan's there at least like that's why we have to have like women advocacy for each other it's because like a lot of other people wouldn't take the time of day to listen you know and so i really like that Guinan also has this discussion about her like knowing Ro. you know essentially Guinan has lost her homeworld we know to the borg and she has a lot of similar experiences with like displacement and um not having a like 
planet to call home or you know it's of course a different situation with the Cardassians but it's still very similar and I really love that they get to share the experience because it's a deeply traumatic one and something that like a lot of people can't understand unless you've been in it and I don't know I just am really appreciative that they have each other's backs in these ways and this guy knows how to like talk to Ro she knows that she's gonna put up these barriers and push her away but she's like yeah and like that's not gonna stop me like it's just incredible. I love her. Well, and you know what's amazing, Rihanna, is we get to keep talking about Guinan because she's Woo! next on our list. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. As you just talked about, her homeworld was destroyed by the Borg. And in the episode Q Who, which is the first time that we see Q and Guinan on screen together, Guinan does this amazing, like, defensive posture towards Q. It looks like a cat. Yes. <laughs> like, this about is my to favorite Guinan move. <laughs> Like, I want to do that out the streets, be like, don't touch me. I got you. Yeah. But we learn that once the Borg entered her system, the system where she was born, that by the time, because Guinan wasn't there, we know that she was like vibing on Earth with Mark yeah. Twain. So she uh-huh. wasn't, she was like rebelling from her father. So she wasn't there when this happened. But when she returned, basically her people were completely wiped out and nothing existed in the system anymore. So that's a huge statement. That's like so awful. And I can't imagine what it would be like to see Q of all people, someone that it seems like Guinan really hates. Yeah, they do not get along. Q calls her an imp at one point. And I feel like I'd be deeply hurt that he dragged the Enterprise into this situation to be introduced to the Borg all because he thought it would be fun. I know Picard at the end of the episode is like, oh, maybe Q did the right thing for the wrong reason. Oh, God. But, like, fuck off. I just, no. At least from Guinan's perspective, I, you know, I can't imagine treating the Borg this lightly. Absolutely not. And that's the thing that she keeps warning them this whole episode. And, like, while she's being re-traumatized and having to work through this stuff again, like, it's, she's amazing. She just stays steadfast and she's like, listen to me, like, you should start heading back now because, like, they're going to be after you. And they're like, but, like, let's communicate with them. She's like, they won't, like, there is no negotiating with the Borg is what she says. And so I just want to, this is so interesting. I've never thought about this till just now, but, like, her story kind of reminds me, it's kind of a archetype in some shows like I'm thinking of Doctor Who I'm also thinking of Avatar The Last Airbender like these characters who run away and rebel and leave their planet and then come back to it being destroyed or their temple or you know or like their people and so I think that like there's just a such a unique form of isolation that way and I think you know that's particularly why Guinan likes to make friends and meet people and like why she's bartending at 10-4 she's like this is the best place to get to know humanity and these different cultures and species and just to like feel like she's around people you know because oh it would just feel so isolating and I think she probably carries some guilt you know of like being gone when it happened the survivor's guilt is like such a real and difficult thing to manage so I'm just like proud of her and shout out to Guinan for having to go through all of this while trying to convince the entire crew to take the Borg seriously like Come on, people, listen to Guinan. Yes, and I was right there with Guinan, having, of course, like seen this episode and knowing who the Borg are. When they're planning the away mission to go oh on the God. Borg cube, she's like, 
you cannot be serious right now. That's like the worst possible idea is to go yeah. check him out. And like, that's, yeah, I'm just, it, yeah, it just shocks me <laughs> like how stupid they are, but they're learning. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> I mean, they're lucky they only lost 18 crew members on this mission, you know? Yeah. Oh my God, you're so right. But there was this like crazy amount of Edith Keeler insight that Guinan had at the end of this episode that like, I'm, now I'm just thinking heavily about Picard and about Voyager, but um, Guinan has the foresight to see the potential of a relationship establishing with the Borg, like, way in the future, she said. And I'm like, is this part of the reason that they're bringing her back for season two? Probably won't be as Borgish as the first season, but I'm still like, this is amazing that they put this in as sort of maybe a potential, like, hey, we could someday try to make peace with the Borg, you know, which, like, they started with Seven of Nine, and now we're doing more in Picard. So I was just like, I was just like, Guinan is a literal like fortune teller and it's amazing. Oh yeah, I was deeply shaken by her words at the end of this episode. And actually I think they're gonna bring, cause we know Q and Guinan are in season two. And so yeah. I think there's gonna be some more of some cat moves by yes. Guinan and maybe they're gonna force them to team up. I don't know, but I'm freaking out and like so yeah. excited no matter what. I know, cause I would like to see some more Guinan like backstory and like character stuff. And you know, I mentioned this while we were talking with Where's Bev, but I'm just wanting more always whenever I see Guinan on the screen like no Guinan is enough for me you know like yeah. every time she's in an episode I'm like this episode is immediately going to be better because Whoopi Goldberg is truly just like the most phenomenal in this role obviously she's amazing in like everything she's in but really... Oscar winning actress um, yeah like a- amazing in sister act <laughs> oh I love that movie <laughs> truly phenomenal and yeah there's never enough Guinan and I'm always left wanting more of her story because they give us so little to work with that like I just really wanted to be flushed out in Picard yeah I can't wait uh something you know you just waxing poetic about Guinan it made me think about the offspring and how much that Guinan helps lull in this episode and how wise it is that Data you know, he's trying to socialize Lowell. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. this episode is like one of the best and most tragic ones maybe of yeah. all of Next Generations. Oof. Definitely yeah. in my top five. Um, I always cry. I cried today while I was watching it. Yeah, I cried um, yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> and Data has created a daughter of his own and everyone's like, WTF, uh, yeah. the, you're creating a new life form and everyone's freaking out about it. But Troy and Guinan are really helpful in guiding Lull. And uh, so Lull spends a lot of the episode in 10 Forward where she's watching couples make out and just humans interacting with each other. And she has so many questions for Guinan. (laughs) He's biting that female. Yeah. (laughs) So good. And then when Riker comes in, Lull like makes out with Riker. (laughs) Data's like, what are your intentions with my daughter? Daughter? And he just bolts. He's He's, like, I'm out of here. No, he's like, nice to meet you. And bolts. Yeah. Hilarious. But, I mean, the Admiral, again, the evil Admiral who's trying to take Lowell away, um, he comes in and observes Lowell with Guinan, and Guinan is just so sweet, like, just talks so kindly about her and says, oh, she's spilling a few drinks, but she's doing great, and she's learning so much, and you can definitely tell that this was the right move, having Guinan help her out in terms of 
kind of socializing her. I mean, she's she's like grasping it more quickly than even Data can. <laughs> oh, yeah. God, I just love like this whole interaction she has with the Admiral where she's essentially like, we're expected for you to be nice in my bar or you're kicked out, essentially. Like, she's like, I will kick you out. I don't care what rank you are um, if you're being rude to my customers. And I just, yeah, I think she's such a good role model for Lull. And uh, I just, like, I'm so sad about this episode, but I'm also so happy it exists because, like, it gives us this time to see everyone growing you know, and interacting with her and particularly getting to see Guinan, like, showing her the ropes and also Troy, getting to see Troy, like, <laughs> I never will forget the A Friend for Wharf oh my <laughs> part God. of the episode. Oh, oh, it's so my. weird and cringy. Oh, it's like, <laughs> oh, it's not good. Yeah, when Lol is choosing her sex and appearance data has like thousands of options for her and then she could be a klingon male is what data says and that's when troy says a friend for Worf." i just oh oh my god it's so cringy Uh, but the rest of the episode is really sweet like she is helping to counsel lull when she starts to get emotions and um even before then when she's worried about socializing in school and everything and data goes to her and he's going to everyone on the ship which is really cute i love when he goes to crush her for motherly advice and all the you know like consulting the best parents around and i think that troy just has such a gentle hand and understanding lol in a way that like maybe she never really gets to understand data and i think that that's really special Yeah, absolutely. And I think that Lowell kind of sees Troy as a mother as well, because Troy is there for all these important moments, like when she's choosing her sex and appearance and when she's navigating these really scary times of emotion. Um, Lowell even says, I choose your sex and appearance. And Data's like, no, that would be confusing. (laughs) I like how that's the only problem with that. That's it. He's like, you can't be Troy. (laughs) Yeah, I just, I love it. And um, I love Guinan. I think, uh, you know, we also watched Time's Arrow to talk a little (laughs) bit about Guinan. And this is where we get a lot of her backstory that you've been craving, Rihanna. It's not like quite what we want, though. But it's still juicy. Like, I still love it. Yeah. So she's essentially like back in the Mark Twain times. (laughs) Yeah. I like that that is just the time period. Yeah. Mark Twain. The Mark Twain times. And this is, uh, yeah. they're in California, right? For the gold rush. Is that correct? Did yeah. I just make that up? They're in San Francisco. Yeah, that's right. I, I guess that was the there. coldest summer. Mm. guess so. Yeah, this is, I mean, this <laughs> anyway, is. Anyway, sorry, I'm a Mark Twain hater. So like all you Mark Twain lovers out there, sorry. It, this is a weird episode for me because Mark Twain is just so nosy. And Ugh. it's so annoying. Everything that they're trying to do in secret about the time travel, he's just like putting his nose into. And yeah. he's so curious about Guinan. I just, yeah. he drives me crazy. He drives me nuts. I feel like, yeah. <laughs> I think like, I think it bled into what I was, because we were watching the, this when I was in middle school. And I think it bled into like my required readings of Mark Twain. Because I'd seen this episode and I was like, I hate this dude already. And I don't really like his books. And so I was just like, you know what? This is awful. <laughs> but anyway, enough about Mark Twain. The important part of this episode is Guinan. And the fact that we get the Picard Guinan meeting. It's very the Doctor and River song. Like, I'm like, here it is. This is where Guinan first meets Picard even though Picard has known her for all of these years and it's so special and I think eventually we might see the first time 
Picard met Guinan, which would be so cool. Like, I'm thinking if, you know, since she's coming back in the timeline. Anyway, very exciting. It's possible. Um, but this is really cool because Guinan is just really just languishing about, enjoying her life as being the most amazing woman in the room. <laughs> and then she's just like, anyway... Um, if you're not on the guest list, you can't go near her. I love this. And they said because she had a lot of personal friends, quote unquote, who wanted to like essentially wanted her wealth and wanted to get near her. And so she's had to have these like precautions in place, which sucks. Like, can we stop just, you know, stalking women and stuff? Like, that's awful. But, you know, Data, of course, like, it's me, Data. And she's like, who in the hell are you? Such a funny scene, though. I love that she's like, did my father come for you? Like, that's the little glimpse we get is like, clearly she's, this is when she just left home to get away from her father. Yeah, and I I like seeing a really young Guinan because she Mm -hmm. doesn't really, she's still wise, of course, but she's not being like her careful, mysterious self in this episode. She's just like running around, living her best life. Yes, that is so fun to watch too, because it's like Guinan actually gets more of a personality in this. You know, I think that it gives her time to stretch her acting into something even more like of a holistic character. I just... God, I love Guinan. And I think that this really showcases her ability to putting two and two together. She's very smart. I don't know. It's just really special to see them all getting to see Guinan this way because I think a lot of them have only known her as mysterious Guinan. Yeah, I think it's a really cool, just, yeah, just a different way to view her. <laughs> I just, I keep thinking about like Riker as a cop. It's just all oh like, my God. <laughs> it's just. It's just a weird, like, fun and weird episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's bizarre. Um, But, yeah, so I do love, too, that Picard and Guinan stay together when she gets hurt. Like, this really shows the cementation of their friendship. And, like, that's pretty epic that you would stay in the past for someone just because they were hurt. You know, like, I think she really takes into consideration people's actions and like that's really what gears a lot of her judgments on people and that's like really cool because you know she's not judging by what they look like or their standing in society or on Starfleet or whatever she's judging them by their actions and their character towards her and people she's she trusts and she's friends with so oh I just love her and I cannot stress how much I'm excited to see her in Picard we'll probably get to talk about her and feminism again and I'm just (laughs) i'm like i'm so excited anyway yes well you know i am just so happy that we've come so far from the original series to tng where we were you know last week we were really struggling to find good things to say about a lot of like the writings of these characters but i really have nothing but good things to say this uh this week and that makes me happy Um, especially, so we have talked about her in the family series before, but, um, Kalar is someone who's really awesome. This is Worf's wife. So like, (laughs) not lover. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, old fling, fling, um, (laughs) that becomes Alexander's mother. And she is first introduced in the episode, The Emissary. She is half Klingon, half human and a hundred percent amazing. (laughs) <laughs> I 
brilliant. love her so much because she is like brought on the Enterprise in this pod. Yeah, <laughs> what? She was like flung in this pod and she was like in a stasis field kind of. Um, the point is that there are these rogue Klingons that were in a sleeper ship from the like movie era TOS times once again and they still believe that the Klingons are at war with the Federation and the place that their ship is headed is towards um, Federation space where there are a lot of outposts just hanging out not expecting to be attacked by war era Klingons (laughs) and so she is sent ahead to the Enterprise in this tube essentially to be their negotiator and naturally um, yeah naturally the thing is i'm wondering why she was chosen for this mission because she's i mean i love her she's so funny she um is really entertaining and seems like a competent officer but she is very negative about the outcome of this mission and very narrow-minded about it because she thinks that there is no way in the world that the Klingons are going to listen to the humans, like listen to the people on the Enterprise and believe them when they said that the war is over, you've been asleep too long. I mean, there is like a Klingon ship that's two days behind. And so her suggestion is keep them asleep if possible. And then the Klingons can talk to them and tell them that the war is over. But she just thinks that Klingons are Klingons. There's no getting through to them. And that's it. I'm like confused why she was sent on the mission. But I guess it's like so they see a familiar face more than just Worf. Well, she's also the emissary to Earth. So like... Yeah, yeah, it's she true. She has to, you know, yeah. this is, she's kind of the perfect liaison. I see what you're saying totally. I agree that there's probably someone better for this mission who had more of a, like, willingness to try new tactics and everything, but I think a lot of her hang-ups about, like, the Klingons not being, you know, reasonable or not being willing to talk is, like, from her childhood, you know? She talks a little bit about how her mother was human father was Klingon and so she was trapped between these two cultures and like she was just I think feeling a little bit sort of (laughs) anti-Klingon because she I mean there's a little bit of internalized Klingon hatred that she has because she says she also keeps her Klingon side under control because she's feels like it's this like monster who's wanting to get out and it frightens her and we see this very very similarly with Bolana. i was thinking about taurus a lot yes, in this I'm, episode i really was too like i love when troy is reminding her that it gives her strength her klingon side and she says quote it doesn't mean i have to like it you know and i think that that is just like so true a lot of the times it's like yeah this is a part of me but i don't really like this part of me or whatever but it's sort of like learning to live with that or working towards change but i don't know i think that there's like a lot of klingon stereotypes that she's clinging on to wow (laughs) oh got him rihanna (laughs) anyway you're so happy with yourself she's just so (laughs) smug over there she's like oh god um yeah I I completely agree with you. That also what I was going to say is that she has some hatred towards herself and Mm -hmm. she hates, I think, her Klingon side. She hates the anger that and her temper that flares Mm -hmm. up sometimes. We see her break the table in this episode, which I like don't want to talk about because that's how she dies later. (gasps) Stop. (laughs) Why would you say that? I didn't even think about that. You fool. Why would you tell me that? (laughs) 
it's really interesting that her and Worf have a history because he is like the quintessential Klingon. We know he was raised on Earth, but because of that, it really, I think, made him be like extra Klingon because he felt like he had to be the embodiment of like a stereotypical Klingon who is serious and doesn't laugh and who like doesn't have fun and is just like a warrior and powerful and strong when really and Guinan says this to Worf in a different episode like that's not like Klingons are really full of joy and they are excited and enriched about life and that's just who Worf is is he's really serious and um and has those stereotypes in his head and so yeah. I feel like they're both both him and Kalar are really interesting because they're products of where they grew up and I think Kalar was raised also on earth but I think so yeah I think so um but she really shoves down her Klingon side as much as possible and really tries to be human and I also think that this is the introduction of I think for the first time a Klingon who is not a traditional Klingon I guess who is not like I should say a practicing Klingon (laughs) Um, because the Klingon society has so many rituals I mean we see in this one if you mate you have to get married yeah Um, wow like like, wedding vows to the heavens or something (laughs) I know (laughs) he's just going for it um it, I think the Klingon tradition is exactly that. It's tradition. And she is anti all of the normal Klingon rituals. That's just mm-hmm. not who she is. And we're going to yeah. see this later with Alexander, that he is kind of like in the same vein. He is her and is kind of anti-tradition. But um, Worf is just so tradition. Like he's extremely traditional. And so I just like seeing them together because I think she brings out the humor in him and the kind of lighthearted side that we know that Worf has. And then he also brings that passion and fire to her, which she kind of uses her humor to hide that she really has these deep feelings. So I think they're a good match. And they say that they've never felt this way about each other. Um, I really like Kalar. I, besides her kind of closed-mindedness about the situation with the Klingons, I think she is really awesome and would be someone I definitely want to go drinking with. <laughs> oh my god, she'd be a blast to hang out with. Yeah. Yeah, I was cracking up at all her jokes. Like, I just love that she opens up the pod that she's been transported in, takes off her little mask and everything, sits up and is like, Woo! It's like, I'm supposed to be this brave warrior or whatever, but, like, I'm glad I'm out of there. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, fair. So I think that, yeah, she's really awesome, and I'm really, like, of course, sad. I just think, like, Alexander lives in her, you know, and he has so much of her spirit and her, like, you know, he's kind of, he's he wants to sort of embrace life and its richness, and she's really awesome. And I really like her sort of bond with Troy in this episode because they talk about, being, you know, one foot in each culture kind of thing and how Troy reminds her that you can try to find richness and diversity in both worlds, which is, you know, something that like Spock has done and we're going to see like Balana do and it's just really cool. I, I like this dynamic that they have and I like that Kalar opens her mind at the end of the episode. Like she listens to Worf and his amazing plan and they're like badass on the bridge wearing their Klingon armor and showing the Klingons from the past that the war is over that was so cool and I think 
in classic TNG formula, like the people around her changed her mind to show that like it is possible to, you know, have another solution. And Klingons don't always just like shoot first, ask questions, never. <laughs> yeah, I love the solution too. And I think it really gives Worf a time to shine and to prove that there are shades of gray. We can be aggressive like Klingons, but we don't have to kill each other like she believes Klingons that's all they're good for you know right yeah i yeah i really like this and i i think she's like very well respected on the ship too yeah everyone is really intrigued by her and she easily wins people over she's very likable yes i like what you said too about her and troy's relationship because that's not something i think about too often that troy i mean i know she's half human half beta zed but I think so often I think about her beta set side and I mean she says herself that she never really felt like her two sides were at war with each other Mm -hmm. um I know she mentions that she feels you know obviously her empathic abilities are a little more limited because she's half human um but she's feeling the positive effects of being from having both backgrounds whereas Kalar is you know suppressing half of herself which is never good for anybody to do Absolutely not. It's important to embrace both sides. And I am glad, though, that she still stays strong in her belief that she's not going to get married to war. She's not going to follow this tradition. And Worf's like, but it's tradition. <laughs> and, and she's like, yeah, well, fuck tradition, essentially. She's like, she just wants to have sex with him and enjoy her time with him and not have to get married at the end of it. It's not too much to ask for, but for Klingons, I guess it is. I Yeah, I really... Um, love that about her too because in the heat of the moment she's really yelling at him like dude are we gonna change our career change our whole lives just because we had one moment of passion like sure it was awesome but and glorious and amazing but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean we have to do this and I think it's really interesting that Worf is ready because he there's this whole like he throws these overtures where he says when we were together six years ago we weren't ready for the commitment but now we are and she's saying this whole thing like I was ready you know I was ready to go and you weren't and now it's kind of switched where Worf is ready for this commitment and relationship and she isn't but i also think Worf has not thought this through either because how would this work (laughs) he's just like it's tradition gotta do it yeah he's just yeah yeah, head empty only tradition yeah (laughs) yeah but i'm i mean we know the result of this like moment of passion on the holodeck is alexander which is a sleeper agent we do not know this until way later that um, Worf even has a child and out of all the people he could have had it with I'm glad it's her because Kalar is awesome she's so cool she's incredible and also this was season two so like that's so early they really did plant her early on and I think they wanted to bring her back because she's just phenomenal as a character and as an actor too. So I just, I think this is perfect that we can talk about Loaxana in the episode Cost of Living because we have a connection here. Alexander is now aboard the ship and he actually talks about Kalar in this episode. I gotta say, I know Loaxana gets so much like flack and that like a lot of her episodes people are like, oh, they're like unbearable. But this one is definitely, I think, my favorite of the Loaxana episodes in TNG. And then I have another favorite in DS9. But like it shines so brightly for her character and her character development that I just really appreciated it. Yeah, I agree. This is definitely one of the best Loaxana episodes. I think because her and Alexander's relationship is so special in this episode. Mm-hmm. 
And I mean, as she says at the end, they both teach each other something. Essentially, I think these are some of the best TNG episodes where really is like interpersonal relationships going on on board the Enterprise. We see that Worf and Alexander are just not getting along. This is the height of their issues with each other. Worf is not being a good dad. Loki, high key, yeah, he's not being key. a good dad. He's not listening to Alexander's needs. And Alexander doesn't understand why his dad is so rigid and uh, mm-hmm. they're just like not communicating at all and alexander lost his mother and it's it's just a really hard time for both of them on the enterprise mm-hmm. um and troy is doing her best to give them to help them work it out and i actually like the contract that they give each other it's obviously like needs some work, but I think it's it's good that Worf, you know, has his responsibilities. Alexander has his responsibilities, and once those are completed, then Alexander can have fun, and Worf can, I, I guess, drink prune juice, have I guess. fun too. I don't. I was kind of yeah. unclear what Worf would do once he was done <laughs> his chores. With yeah. yeah, but I agree with the feeling of it. You know, where they there has to be some compromise between the relationship, and so Troy is very carefully building this together step by step it's a very slow process to like make their relationship better and then the waxana comes in totally unannounced just uses the enterprise as like a bus (laughs) um, to meet her betrothed and just destroys this carefully crafted relationship that troy is building by saying, oh, yeah, contract is a terrible idea. Like, yeah, like in front of them. Yeah, in front of yeah. them. She's completely taking Alexander's side, which I do think someone does need to be an advocate for Alexander. Absolutely. And so it's good that she's there, but it's just, it's it's so rough. And I feel so bad for Troy because she, this is her literal job and her mom yeah. is like destroying her careful work. <laughs> I know, like, yeah, it definitely she's a little tone deaf when it comes to like situations that she's in and she just pops in and does what she thinks is best especially when it comes with Deanna you know like she is so controlling of Deanna a lot of the time that like she just wants to be in everything and I think at least for Alexander this is something that he really needs and she does bring out his needs really well and it is true like I feel like Troy is trying so hard to get Worf to ease up a little that she's not really asking about what alexander needs you know that can definitely be improved upon but like that's why i think loaxana is a really important role in this because she does teach them a bit of that balance like you could have real world stuff you have to do and like tasks you have to complete and all of that and then you can all go have fun like as a family or like you know do something bonding together and like know that you can't have both sides of the coin when it comes to a parent-child relationship and so I think that it's interesting that she brought that into their relationship but still of course has trouble with Deanna and her connecting on this level and I think it's you know it's easier to like see an outside relationship and be like ah like I can you know at least bring a little joy to this kid's life and show Worf that like woof Mr. Wolf Mr. Wolf that like there's other options than just like a strict household but I think she's also putting a lot of her fears of being tied down onto Alexander in that situation so she's just like I'll just bring this kid along we'll have a fun day and I can ignore my responsibilities about this wedding yeah I think that Alexander is totally her pass 
where yeah. she feels like she can do whatever she wants under the guise of I'm hanging out with Alexander. I'm helping him yeah. because this poor guy lost his mom and we're besties now. Uh, Lawaxana clearly has a lot of unresolved issues where she hasn't looked internally upon herself and she uses external forces to solve her problems and that doesn't always work. Like, for example, she's betrothed to this guy that she's never met before and they've only exchanged profiles, which sounds like a very awful version of yeah. Tinder. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or maybe it's like LinkedIn Tinder. So like a marriage dating for, app. For like royalty, yeah. you know, because <laughs> Loaxana is like beta Z royalty and this guy yeah. is like the minister of something. Really what she wants, Loaxana doesn't want a husband. She is really lonely and she's left alone. She feels like now that she's older, she doesn't get to marry for love. She has to marry out of duty or obligation um, just because this match happens to work and she won't be alone anymore. But this is such a unfortunate way to deal with her loneliness. You know, like, yeah. join a book club. Don't get married. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally, she takes a lot of things to the extreme, you know, and dives head first into stuff, which gets her into a lot of trouble, but also gets her out of a lot of trouble. Like, she's quick to act and so i think out of desperation of not wanting to be alone she was like all right sure i'll marry this guy and she's totally ignoring every like everyone's questions about this particularly deanna but she finally does talk candidly with alexander and i like that they can talk candidly with each other and have this deeper connection because then she can sort of be like a a grandma figure for him who comes and like comes in town and spoils you like crazy and you're just like wow I love it when grandma's here <laughs> yeah well and I feel like yeah. grandmothers can really be or grandparents in general can be a break from your parental figure someone yeah. who will let you off the hook sometimes who will listen to you and love you mm -hmm. no matter what you say there's just something magical about that grandparent relationship where yes they don't have to like discipline you so you can do whatever you want and yeah. that's definitely the relationship that Luoxana has yeah and and Alexander doesn't like take advantage of that either he just like trusts her and is like sure I want to go have fun you know like I'm glad to not have to do all these chores for this contract <laughs> or whatever yeah exactly um, yeah so and also we just have to talk about the glorious Major Barrett, which it is her birthday on the day we are recording this. Ah! Like, this is like how our first pilot episode was on Gene Ronberry and uh, Jonathan Frank's birthday. We are just good with timing <laughs> when we record these episodes. Completely accidentally. <laughs> like, yeah. Rihanna and, or I think I woke up this morning and Rihanna had texted me like, oh my god, it's Major Barrett's birthday. <laughs> yeah, like we only just realized. So this is amazing. I'm so glad we get to talk about her and Lawaxana because like... I think that especially the end of this episode really shows me that like she hasn't lost that zest for life and that like confidence and like she's so self-assured usually and so just like ready to dive headfirst in anything that like seeing her reserved or like running away from her problems was kind of jarring but then by the end when she comes naked to the wedding and she's like just strutting proudly everyone's like jaws dropping to the floor it's amazing like i just love this confidence especially like being an older woman may come with some like you know body image but she's never really had a problem with that like all of her dresses are so like revealing amazing yeah. and revealing and like just i just love that about her 
just because she's old doesn't mean she still can't be sexy and beautiful and all this stuff. And I think she's learning that by the end of this too. And it's just so cool that Majel Barrett gets to take on these different roles. And I love when she's going to the holodeck and talking to the computer. I'm like, she's talking to herself. Like, this is amazing. It's truly like Majel Barrett times two. And I'm so happy. Yeah, and she's actually the only actor we are going to talk about for three episodes in a row. We had her as Nurse Chapel, Lawaxana, mm-hmm. and then we're going to talk about her again um, next week in Deep Space yeah. Nine. So, oh, I'm just honored. Yeah, and I think that she obviously has her times where, like, I know she annoys the hell out of a lot of people, and me sometimes too. But honestly, like, all of these rewatchings have really helped me to grow on her character and understand her more. Yeah, I think the seeing episodes multiple times definitely soften a lot of characters like Yar has for me. And also, honestly, Troy, um, Deanna Troy has really changed in my mind after seeing Next Generation so much. She has never been my favorite character. She's always Mm -hmm. been someone who I don't really like and kind of feel like she doesn't add very many things to to the episodes. Mm -hmm. And over the years, the more I've seen, the more I feel like her strengths are her relationship with Beverly and how good friends they are. Her relationship with Picard really is important to the series. And and in general, I feel like she is the unsung hero of the crew's mental health. Yes. Um, I think especially in the time that Next Generation was happening, there was not a lot of emphasis on mental health. And going to therapy was really stigmatized and not cool. But I think her character, or the idea of her character, came from the idea that actually, like, in space missions in, like, NASA, and if you're going to have any kind of long-term missions, it's really important to have a psychiatrist there and someone to resolve the pressures of space travel. So, absolutely, like, that's really important, and I, you know, I, I love that that's the root of her character, but I think she does a lot of heavy lifting that no one gives her credit for, including me. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was amazing to watch the episodes that we did to prepare for Deanna because she's also someone, in addition to uh, literally being the empath to everyone on the ship, she's also extremely sexualized to the audience. I mean, she doesn't have like a real Starfleet uniform mm. yeah. until like season six. Mm-hmm. And she has to wear bodysuits all the time or dresses that are really short. Always there's cleavage yeah. out. And it's because the audience needs a sexy character. And Marina Stirtis has talked about this on a lot of interviews and Comic-Con panels that she did not like Troy's lines. She was always irritated by how sexualized she was on the show. And she really wanted a meatier part, but was really never given it. So I really empathize with her. Like that, I mean, that sucks. But so Troy is just like a really interesting character. And I love to see her arc especially when at the end of the show, she is training to become a commander based off of the events in Disaster, which leaves the ship totally crippled. I think they hit a a quantum filament and uh, there's no power. There's like half impulse. Everyone, no one can communicate with each other in the ship. Basically, everyone on the bridge has died except for O'Brien Roe is able to climb her way onto the bridge and mm-hmm. Troy is the one in command. 
And she's yeah. she holds the rank of lieutenant commander, but she's not able to make any technical decisions or anything like that. And this is really the first time that Troy's ever been put in this position. And we yeah. definitely had to watch these scenes because I think it is the start of her transition to really having more uh, of a role on Next Generation. Yeah, this is one of my favorite episodes of TNG, and I really do like this Troy arc. It's definitely, like, awkward at first, because she's like, I don't know, do you all have suggestions? But I really like that she does have Roe and O'Brien, because they're actually pretty good sides of the coin, you know? Because Roe cuts corners when it comes to engineering, and, like, she knows, like, fast tricks and stuff that'll work. But O'Brien, you know, is more meticulous and like he's gonna have to learn to be faster on DS9, obviously, with like all of the problems on the space station. But for now, like he knows Enterprise so well and does it like through protocol and stuff. And so well, if Troy he's a is... yes man, you know, yeah. he just does what he's told and Roe yeah. is not. And so for Troy to be torn between them is makes it a really interesting episode. Yeah, particularly that's so true when they have to when she has to decide when it's on her shoulders if they should separate the saucer or like wait to see if someone in engineering got their signal and they don't know if anyone's alive and so Troy decides she chooses to believe that the people are still alive and she gives them a chance for them to help and it of course works out and I love this that she's she has so much trust in her crew and she knows that they have her back and she knows that like we're going to get through this if we believe in the people that are down there. And she knows that some people are alive on the ship. And so it's just hopeful that someone in engineering is or that Data's head is at least. Yeah, exactly. That <laughs> always cracks me up. Yeah. I, I think it's cool that, I mean, this is another instance of a woman trusting her instincts. Yes. And it turns out, of course, to be the right path. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're supposed to doubt Troy in the beginning of the episode when she doesn't know anything that's going on in the bridge, right. technically. And then Ro is pushing her more and more separate the saucer from the bridge. Like, we have to separate. And Troy is absolutely refusing to mm-hmm. because she trusts and she she has an instinct that there are people alive and we'll, we're going to figure this out. Like, I trust my crew. I know it's going to work out. So I just love that because I remember... I mean, every time I watch this, but especially the first time, I I did not trust Troy, and mm-hmm. I was kind of with Roe, and I was like, uh, she's right. Every I mean, obviously, you see, yeah. though, as the episode goes on, that everyone is alive, yeah. and, and it's fine, but <laughs> Roe is so convincing and so yeah. passionate about her opinion that I know if I was in Troy's position, I would have a really hard time making that choice and yeah. not seeming really flaky about it, but Troy is resolved and she's confident and that is what it takes to be a good commander is even if you are unsure about something you have to stick to your guns no matter what and so this is like the seeds of troy growing in her position in starfleet and i just love to see it that is so true ashlyn well said and i like how at the end of course she's right and the day is saved and roe admits that she was wrong and troy like empathizes right away she's like oh yeah i would have done the same in your position essentially or like I understand why you felt that way and I'm just like dang that's amazing like they just communicated and then resolved it yeah exactly it's not like a it's not the women fighting each other yeah type of type of situation it was literally both people trying to do the best they could in that moment and yeah yeah I mean everyone survived so yeah except for that poor person on the bridge yeah except for everyone on the bridge yeah <laughs> God. Um, but 
yeah, so I think that I I agree Troy has grown a lot on me and I've started to understand her more and I think like I do though have these really precarious situation where I don't trust her as much for these decisions like in disaster and like in face of the enemy. Um, I think at first I was like, oh my God, like how is she going to pretend to be this Tal Shiar agent? You know, cause she gets surgically altered to be a Romulan and she wakes up a Romulan, like what a morning, you know, she's like computer lights. Like, yeah, so just like that would be crazy if this guy comes in, he's like, quick, you're from the Tal Shiar, go up there and pretend to be Tal Shiar. And she's like, what? So anyway, I think that like, at first I was really worried. I was like, oh no, like, I know I would do terribly in this situation. And I think also a reason that Troy kind of used to bug me a lot is because like, I'm really empathetic. And so I think seeing that like reflected, I always was like, how does she do it so well? Like, I think I was kind of jealous, you know, that she had her, like, it seemingly, she was carrying all these people on her shoulders and, like, in her heart, and she still, like, had room to be poised and, like, not crack under the pressure. And I don't know, like, me in high school being really empathetic was really hard for me, and I had to, like, honestly, like, dissolve some friendships that were toxic to me, even though it was, like, painful to do so you know and so like because it was literally like crushing my soul to be that empathetic and I don't know I think I just empathize with her so much lol um that it's it was hard for me sometimes to see those scenes because I'm like ooh, like I know I wouldn't handle that as well as her or whatever and so but also it makes me admire her a lot and I think that I see how strong she is that it's okay to have all of these big feelings and to be able to understand deeply and honestly it helps you in a lot of these situations like I always said that empathy is kind of a double-edged sword you know like it can be really painful but it can also be like very helpful in navigating situations that are tough like this one face the enemy she has to go and be this really strong terrifying Talashiar agent and like she practically orders the death of the small freighter and yeah it's just anyway well thank you for sharing that rihanna and i think i kind of had the opposite reaction as a kid to her because i thought that showing your emotions was weakness and that has taken years to undo and i'm Mm -hmm. still fighting that in myself because i am someone who thinks if i don't show my emotions i'm stronger and i'm better but that's mm-hmm. just wrong and showing your emotions does not make you weak and so i really viewed troy as a weak character mm-hmm. and thought that she was worse off because she was so vulnerable all the time and really that's what i want to be is i yeah. want to be vulnerable and poised like she is yeah um, and so i yeah that's really interesting that she is so representative in each of our own paths on our emotional journeys I love that. <laughs> Yeah. And it's cool that like we both kind of strive to be Troy in different ways, you know, like to have that balance is so cool that she has. And I think that she also reminds me a lot of our mom, our Moogie. And especially rewatching these episodes, I'm like, wow, like she is just like so kind and caring and feels so deeply, but also so strong and just like like a like a tree you know with its roots dug in like just very strong and so i don't know i just oh i think about that a lot especially this episode 
really like opened my eyes to how awesome Troy is. Yeah, this one caught me really by surprise. And I'm so glad I think Rihanna found this one in like Troy's Greatest Hits archive. Yeah. <laughs> um, because in the beginning of the episode, we have no idea. Like Troy's been kidnapped from this conference and she is surgically altered to look like a Romulan. And she is supposed to be a secret Tal Shiar agent who's infiltrating the ship. But really, she's with this other Romulan who's actually a part of Spock's unification plan, which is like, what? 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 And he is also on this Romulan ship, and he is trying to transfer these three other rebels who are a part of Spock's unification um, to safety within the Federation. And their initial plan was to... Well, so these people, Spock's friends, are, like, in these containers? <laughs> yeah. Like, what? They're in crates in the cargo bay. And, the and they're cap- in stasis, I guess. Yeah, they're in stasis. The captain of the Romulan ship is, like, so angry that she doesn't know what's in the cargo. So she has a deep hatred for the Tal Shiar. So she doesn't like Troy anyway. What's funny about all of this is that I think if maybe... Troy and the other Romulan had been up front to her, she might have been fine with like transferring the bodies to the Federation, but also maybe not. I don't well, know. Her, yeah, her father was killed for, essentially. It was very like Socrates, where he was killed because he was like teaching stuff that wasn't Romulan, like propaganda about the, how the Federation weren't like this evil organization and stuff and how he's like yeah like we can reach for peace or not not, maybe he's not something that drastic but it was enough of a like dangerous rhetoric that he was killed for it so yeah i think like quote unquote dangerous obviously (laughs) um but wow it just it shows a lot about like how there are quite a few romulans who want to vie for peace yeah so i really like this romulan commander because I mean, at first, she's seen definitely as the adversary because Troy has to act like this powerful Tal Shiar agent and she has to dodge all these questions. And the commander is really masterful at trying to dig information out of Troy. But I thought Troy was being really badass right back towards her because the um, captain was asking, what are your thoughts on this teachings of this random teacher at the academy, blah, blah, blah. And Troy is just like not giving in to Mm -hmm. this. And she she doesn't look weak at all in this episode. She has, she literally has the face of the enemy. (laughs) Um, She's got her face on and she is really awesome i just i love this episode with her it's amazing i, I think it again is planting the other seeds for her command and for like yeah just for her arc that we're gonna see later and i don't know i think it's really cool that uh, once again she knows that enterprise will help her and so she wants to send them a message she knows that they'll pick it up and that they can like, it's so funny when they turn on the uh, communications channel and Troy is there in the Romulan makeup and they're all just shocked and trying what? not to show it. They're yeah. like, what? You know, it's so, oh, it's just, it's so good. And I love how they work together, like, silently, essentially, to get Troy back and to, they just beam the bodies onto the bridge, you know, but everyone got there safe and sound except for the guy who, like, saved his life for her, but... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. 
I love Riker's face, especially when he sees Troy yeah. in the makeup and Picard. Like, they all have to play it cool, but they're clearly like, what? They're like, oh my god. Yeah. What is she doing? Yeah. Well, I also think uh, not only do we see, like, Troy's great acting ability in this episode, but we really see how her uses as an empath are... Uh, important because when they have this ship they're supposed to rendezvous with to transfer the cargo onto the bodies troy knows that they're lying and knows that they are not gonna play by the rules basically that they had predetermined and so the guy her like romulan friend just like blows up the ship once troy says like they're lying he says it was under troy's orders yeah and she just owns it she's like yeah you're right fuck you (laughs) yeah like i they needed to die i'm like whoa yeah Yeah, her acting is phenomenal it's just a really interesting power struggle between her and this captain and yeah i mean it all works out at the end of the episode they are able to get the bodies over like rihanna said and it was really shocking that they were beamed onto the bridge and (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was jarring i was like (laughs) yeah and picard is like oh my god these are spock's friends (laughs) (laughs) random yeah amazing so this concludes our feminist episode two and before we go i want to tell you about the brechtel test for tng oh yes please i've pulled up the mary sue.com again <laughs> and there were a lot of them that we watched were passing the test i think today oh absolutely especially the female centered ones so 44.9 percent of tng passed <laughs> almost half almost half <laughs> But you know what the the strongest season was at sixty one percent. At sixty one percent, um, was it six, five, five? Okay, like it skyrocketed. The one that's even close to that is fifty one percent. So it was a whole ten percent. Wow. Okay, yeah. Rihanna, thank you for these facts. I mean, it really is such a big difference compared to seven percent in the yeah. original series. And zero percent in season one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah big difference i just love these women and i'm so glad we got to talk about them and now i'm quaking because we get to talk about deep space nine next week and like who i might like explode out of excitement yeah i'm really pumped for the deep space nine episode ah yeah yeah i'm really excited Rihanna, thank you for having such a great discussion with me today. We were so, so honored to be joined by Where's Beverly also in this episode. I feel like we really, like, crushed it. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, more than that, thank you for being vulnerable and deep. I feel like we really got a lot of, like, our core selves out, which we haven't done in a while. Again, like, when we're watching the movie series, it doesn't really lend itself to being philosophical (laughs) like this. So it's nice to have this outlet to record the pod with you yeah i really appreciate you saying that and i appreciate you for your vulnerability and i think that troy brought out the counseling that we needed today so (laughs) and with that archie says goodbye um archie's gonna do the outro for us (laughs) thank you for listening to the dura sisters podcast Please tune in next week for the third episode of our Feminism series, where Ashlyn and Rihanna will discuss the amazing women in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our merch on Threadless and our content on Tumblr and TikTok. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher by donating any amount per month 
You can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, the review of the movie Galaxy Quest, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these podcast series, pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, villains, and movies. If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these awesome episodes. Social media and marketing by me, Ashlyn Gelman, and Rihanna Hurd. Editing is done by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Our intro and outro is by Jerry Goldsmith. Enemies can really, like, take down... Girl. <laughs> Don't get serotonin from the microphone. Oh my god, that was literally the loudest purr I've ever heard in my life. <laughs>